speaking to the 82nd Airborne in Poland, Joe Biden said, when you're there, you will see men, women standing in front of a damn tank. And uh, everybody was like, did he just tell U.S. troops that they will be there in Ukraine seeing this? Now, some people are saying it's out of context. That's not what he meant. And I'm sure that's I hope that's not what he meant. The White House has issued a clarification saying, no, 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 no. Nobody's nobody's going there. In which case, I think we need a president who can speak better because that's kind of a scary thing Mm -hmm. to see. A bunch of outlets being like Joe Biden corrected. No, troops are not going to be in Ukraine. So we'll be talking about that. We've got a bunch of other stories, and we'll talk a bit about some cultural stuff. We got this story. It's it's Ben and Jerry's in San Francisco. This apparently this uh, this one, like standalone store splashed a crying homeless man with a bucket of water. That's that's what they're accused uh, being accused of. And I thought, man, that really does exemplify San Francisco and a lot of what these policies have resulted in. So we'll talk about that. Plus, uh, it's Friday, so we're we're mostly chilling as we normally do. And joining us to hang out tonight is Royce White. Do you want to introduce yourself? Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. Um, my name is Royce White. I'm running for Congress in Minnesota's 5th Congressional District against the, the anti-American candidate Ilhan Omar and, and her trusted team, the squad, the progressive, the progressives. You think you're going to do it? It's an uphill battle? I think all things are possible through faith in God. I'll say that. Right on, right on. Cool, man. Well, uh, glad to have you. Thanks for having me, man. We I also got it. Brett Dasovic of Pop Culture Crisis hanging out tonight. How's it going, everybody? Yes, my name is Brett. And as a uh, Minnesota resident growing up, uh, I pray that you manage to win. Please, thank please you. do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, everybody. Ian Crossland over here, hanging out with a bunch of dice in front of me, as you probably already guessed. So many. Have a wonderful night, and I'll see you soon. And I'm very excited to have Brett here as well, for sure, because I enjoy going on Pop Culture Crisis with him, but very excited to hear what Royce has to say. I would like to see Ilan Omar get defeated. And don't forget to head over to TimCast.com, become a member to support us all directly. As a member, you're keeping all of our journalists working, and we're working on stories every single day. We're fact-checking, and you'll also get access to our exclusive segments from this show, Monday through Thursday at 8 p.m. But also, don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show right now, take that URL posted wherever you can, let everybody know, come watch this show, that's the best way to help. Let's read this first story. We have this one from TimCast.com, and I know some people are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. This headline is misleading, or well, let's, let, let, me, let me read it for you. Biden tells the 82nd Airborne they're going to Ukraine, contradicting previous promise. President Joe Biden told troops from the 82nd Airborne Division stationed in, how do you pronounce that, uh, Rezjau, Poland? Probably, can't, probably absolutely wrong. We need, where's Jack when you need him? Or <laughs> yeah. Luke, uh, that they would be going to Ukraine. During his first State of the Union address at the beginning of March, Biden promised that he would not be putting American boots on the ground. Quote, let me be clear, our forces are not engaged and will not engage in the conflict with the Russian forces in Ukraine. However, Biden's words in Poland imply he has changed his mind. Quote, you're going to see when you're there. You're going to see women, young people standing in the middle in front of a damn tank saying, I'm not leaving. So we have this from the Daily Mail. White House forced to correct Biden, uh, Biden after uh, forced to correct Biden after hinted U.S. troops would be sent into Ukraine in slip in speech to paratroopers in Poland. Following Biden's comments to the 82nd Airborne Division in Poland, the White House clarified, saying, the president has been clear we are not sending U.S. troops to Ukraine, and there is no change in that position. All right. I just got to say, there's a few scenarios here. One, Joe Biden is a fumbling, bumbling fool and just was misspeaking, saying, you'll see it when you're there. Maybe he meant something else. I honestly don't know. What could it mean to, to, to tell a troop they'll be seeing people standing in front of a tank saying, you know, they're not moving or whatever? Could Joe Biden have accidentally said this? 
Could he have accidentally leaked advanced plans? Is the White House lying? Like, is it a false, like a false signal? We're going to be in the center. Is, is yeah. Joe Biden nuts? Well, all, yeah. all of, I think all of it's on the table. Yeah. <laughs> he just it's all plausible. So all four, all four of your uh, scenarios are plausible with this, with this guy. So. He just sounds so tired. Like all the time, like I, people make a lot of mistakes when they're tired and their, you know, their sleep patterns are drawn out. He's in Poland right now, so he's traveling. I could absolutely see something like this being a slip up that he's just not ready for public speaking when he's that tired or that out of it. Yeah, um, like um, he's I, already got a hypothetical set up in his mind, so he's like, when this hypothetical comes, that is a hypothetical. This will be the situation. Yeah. But the word when, I mean, Rumsfeld said this about the Iraq War in two thousand two, before we were in Iraq, Afghanistan only, and he was like, when we go into Iraq, and it was like a signal. Like, what do you mean when? What do you mean when? Iraq's yeah. not on the, this isn't part of the game right now. Yeah. Well, it, I, yeah, well, it is part of the game for them. Yeah, for sure. I would yeah, be so. mind blown if the United States was not preparing to send troops into Ukraine in some way. I, absolutely. Or if they don't already have them there in some way. I would be shocked if Joe Biden wasn't taking mad uppers of some sort. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of situation where you pay privateers. This is where privateers came from. You put people into Ukraine, you pay them, but they don't wear American outfits. They're just being paid by the American government. Yo, you know, you mentioned that uh, Biden seems tired all the time. And watching these past several videos, he he is. Like when he was at the G7, when he was talking about the New World Order and stuff, he's just uh, talking like this. You know, yeah. I was talking to this guy in a secure military. He said, uh, you know, going to be a New World Order. And I'm like, you know what, man? They must have this dude on so many pills to keep him moving because for someone his age to be traveling overseas to Europe, change in sleep schedule, working this much, I don't know how he does it. Because I got to be honest, I'm tired, yeah. you know, and I stay in this house most of the time just working. It's tough for me to, you know, watching it. Um, I think we live in a in an age of double crosses and triple crosses. It's very hard for me to tell whether or not he's being puppeted or if he he's just in on it and he's that sinister. And I think it's very hard to tell with, with a lot of these global figures in positions like his. I have a hard time believing that his is on purpose or that he's doing it on purpose. Uh, I actually believe that drug... I, I remember Sticks Hexenhammer had a video when he got elected where he's like, I hope the CIA... He's like, I don't want him to be president, but if he is, give him the good drugs. <laughs> like, he's like, the CIA, I hope they give him the good stuff to keep yeah. him awake so that people don't think uh, our president's falling asleep he's at the right. wheel. He's completely right. You know, make him, make, make him work. Give him so, the stuff so, that all right, let's, take. But let, let's say this. Outside of whatever the whatever Biden is, is supposed to be saying and whatever he meant. I don't know. What do you think, man? Do you think they're going to send troops? You think NATO will get involved? You think U.S. troops are going to get involved in Ukraine, go up against Russia? It's hard to say. I, I think ultimately um, there is a four-player jump ball geopolitically. You got the free people um, of, of many nations around the world. Um, you have your globalists. You got Russia and China. And, you know, I, I think Glenn Beck laid this out well. I've written it before in my Substack. China and, and Russia want a, a nationalist dictatorship and the globalists want an international dictatorship. And I think Ukraine is, is the, the proxy ground for the war between the globalists and, and, and China and Russia in many regards. And, you know, we're in the fog of war. It's hard to say what they'll do. I would, I would lean towards, um, they probably will, you know, intervene in, in the Ukraine in some way coming up shortly. When I think about like who's who would win from a war between the United States and Russia, it'd be China. I mean, or it'd be like the oligarchs like Klaus Schwab. But like when I think of Kolomoisky and how he created that TV station to put um, Zelensky on a TV show, and then he made the political party to put Zelensky into power. Who's he work? Who's he connected with? 
I think the people that win ultimately in this are the um, central bank financial cartels. Um, and when you when you push, you know, nations on a global stage to this level of, of pressure and desperation and, and, you know, it's all it's ultimately going to affect the currency. Yeah. It's, it's also it's ultimately going to potentially crash the currency, which would give them the opportunity to usher in a, a new global digital currency, which which takes authoritarianism to an entirely new height. And I think that they I don't think that they've been shy about saying that that's their ambition. I think that we as individual citizens who don't have that type of sinister uh, mindset find it hard to believe that they would sacrifice people in the Ukraine or anywhere else in order to achieve that goal. Now we got food shortages coming. Yeah. By, uh, by fall. Because of fertilizer, because of uh, exports in, in, in uh, Ukraine. I think Ukraine and Hungary are, are pulling back on, on wheat exports. So Europe, they're going to be going hungry quite a bit. Yeah, Prices are going to skyrocket. The Holdemir was like a, a human-created mass Holodomor. starvation. The Holdemir? Is that yeah. how you pronounce it? Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past an authoritarian regime to murder hundreds of thousands of people to get a, an agenda across. It's It's been happening plenty I, of times in the past. I, I view it more like... Uh, or millions Many or of billions. Th- I wouldn't even put it past them to kill half the planet to get an agenda across. You got to watch out for psychopathy. Absolutely. Well, I mean, here, here's 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 a point. You know, first of all, when you bring stuff like that up, the media just dismisses you and calls you crazy. Well, I'm not is, saying they're doing it. No, I'm no, no, saying no, no, I wouldn't on, put it on, past them. The media will dismiss you and call you crazy, which is crazy. <clears throat> serial killers exist. Many there there have been many serial killers who were very very smart, and and it's terrifying how how calculated they were. Now imagine one of them just decides to get in office. Yep. How hard is it? I mean, you know, heaven help us if a serial, someone of a, a, a psychotic individual, serial killer mindset gets a high ranking position in a military. Also, drugs make people crazy. I think Hitler was on so many drugs. And yeah, it was a big part of what pushed him over the edge. They were doing meth. Yep. Kept him going. You know, I see some of these politicians who have been elected, let's say like an Ilhan Omar. And I've said in the beginning of this campaign, I don't know how much she's in on it. I don't know how much she's initiated into these sort of global level plans. Um, but a lot of them are useful drones for much more predatory and, and uh, sophisticated uh, predators. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, players at, at the top level. And yes, uh, sociopathic, psychopathic uh, character traits are all on the board. I, I don't think that anybody should dismiss them. In fact, I think it's a... It's a concerted effort for the mainstream media to dismiss these things out of hand because they're in on it. Oh yeah, the mainstream media, the five, the, the five-headed hydra, the new world order is very clear to me. You got big tech, you got the three industrial complexes, military, media, and medicine, and you got the central bank cartels, and and they do their best to make it seem like they're not, uh, you know, in on it together. But when you really take a step back and and look at these things from a broader scope. They they all interplay and they work together to you know to to quell what stories they need to and promote others. I'm gonna, I'm going to pull this up every time someone mentions the new world order, just so that I can say here's what we're talking about. This is the Council on Foreign Relations News Guard certified 100 out of 100, and they say what is the liberal world order? They say world leaders create a series of international organizations and agreements to promote global cooperation on issues including security, trade, health, and monetary policy. The United States has championed the system known as the liberal world order for the past 75 years. During this time, the world has enjoyed unprecedented unprecedented peace and prosperity i i, I will dispute that <laughs> yeah right but, uh, uh, <laughs> but but this is the idea this is the council on foreign relations whether anybody you know they say what is the u.n security council if someone wants to come out and say the new world order is a crackpot conspiracy whatever it is you're talking about fine sure when we were talking about big tech and and the monetary fund look at this 
Don't they? I think they actually mentioned the International Monetary Fund in here. Do they? Let me make, let me make sure. They're doing it right World in Bank. front of people. Yep. Do they mention the World not Bank? Even sh- they're so brazen about it. There we go. Look at this. Look at this. Evaluate the success of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund in promoting trade development and economic stability. So when we're talking about the banking industry, big tech, and all that stuff. Just if you've got a problem with us believing that, uh, take it up with the Council on Foreign Relations own website, which says it's real. That's the only thing I have to say is, okay, then if you think that's a conspiracy theory, those crazy Council on Foreign Relations people putting those conspiracy <laughs> theories up, they tricked us. Oh, man, how dare they? And when they mean peace and prosperity, they mean here, not where we're using it to, uh, overseas. <laughs> For the where, first we, time, where we bomb, uh, where we drop a bomb yeah. every eight seconds. It's yeah, yeah. it's peaceful here, just not all the other places where our influence is. I mean, our, in the West, it's peaceful exactly. in the West. For the most part. I don't know. I'm pretty sure if you look at the southern border mm. with the cartels yeah. and uh, look, cities. some of the most dangerous parts of Mexico are right on the southern border of the United States. Mm. So, Hidalgo. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not about to agree with them. Like it's been unprecedented unprecedented peace and prosperity. Yeah, you're saying the whole premise is false. It's a non-starter. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They might have have something to it because there was like how many hundreds of millions were killed in the night in the. Not nineteen or in the nineteen hundreds, like yeah, hundred million. World War One and Two was yeah. the gro- most grotesque thing the humans have ever done to themselves. Really, it was disgusting, and we haven't done that since we built this. So that's the upside. And before in the eighteen hundreds, it was probably as gruesome, not as gruesome, because machine guns changed a lot, but pretty damn gruesome in the eighteen hundreds too. Like yeah. really, really bad. So this maybe, I mean, I do think for the time that this had a purpose, but that the purpose has passed. I don't think that we need to go to an autocratic global corporate governance but i think that the liberal economic order is over well i think it's just real quick i think it's funny that they're like what is the world trade organization what is the world health organization what is international law but the new world order is a conspiracy theory yeah like what world organizations exist i think what we're looking at right here is the fallout from um a a, a psychopathic man named adolf hitler Mm -hmm. committing a, a a very evil atrocity on a certain group of people and, and wanted to expand an empire and have the German war machine go and take over the world. And then you had a bunch of opportunists, wh- uh, whether out of fear or out of ambition, um, see the opportunity to use him as a scapegoat to say the only way we could stop this from happening is if we consolidate power into international governing bodies. Um, and, and, and what's interesting about the way they want to do this is similar to how they Similar to what China has done. If you notice with China and how they've reinitiated the reeducation camps, they call them reeducation camps because they know. And I'm not not to say that the Chinese, the, the CCP hasn't killed Uyghurs or cultural minorities in these camps. What I'm saying is that they've moved this sort of Overton window of what it means to be um, tyrannical and, and evil in a societal framework. So they'll say we're not killing them like like they did it. Like they did the Jews. We're just putting them in re-education camps. And that sort of quells the visceral feeling we have towards what happened to the Jews. And I think the, the, the UN and these globalist international bodies are doing a similar thing when they talk about peace. But then they're, they're not talking about the peace of, of soul or the peace of spirit. Uh, they're, they're talking about physical conflict, but the whole scam is to make people very chaotic and unpeaceful in their minds and bodies and spirits. Yeah. But, you can, but, but, you can chain two people up. And they call it peaceful because they can't fight, but they're not going to be ha- happy. That's not a good peace for those people. It's still a degradation of, of humanity and dignity. Right. Let's, let's talk about your story, man. How did, how did you get involved in all this? Where do you come from? 
Well, yep. I'm, I'll take you back to the beginning because I, I respect you a lot, and I told you that. I, I think that. what you've done, man, is is really and, and all the people who have done what you've done, creating these conversations, is an unquantifiable contribution to society. Um, you know, my story all started, I'd say, yeah, I came onto the public scene as a basketball player at Iowa State University. Um, I, I, you know, I was an All-American high school athlete. I came up through the Nike prep circuit as well. Um, I went to the University of Minnesota, which is in my hometown. Uh, but, but I, I transferred to Iowa State. I had to sit a year. Back then you got, you got penalized a year for transferring. Now they, they have a, a sort of no penalty rule, but back then you got penalized a year. So I had to sit a year. I didn't play until my junior year. Um, I had a good season and, and during this season, I talked publicly about my struggles with anxiety. Um, and this was unique because a lot of people in the public square, especially collegiate athletes, but really any public figures weren't talking about mental health as much. It, it certainly wasn't the mainstream sort of buzz topic that has become now. And many could, you could argue that I was sort of the first stone in that avalanche. Uh, and, and I'm, and I'm actually kind of, disturbed and disappointed at how it turned out and, and we'll talk about that trajectory here a little bit but but anyway um, I started to talk about mental health and I was playing well uh, and so it got a lot of traction because the, the college sports writers were going we never had a guy talk about anxiety but we knew people had these issues but also this guy is leading his team in every major statistical category points rebounds blocks steals assists and i was the only player in the country to do that and not many players in the country do that in any season it's kind of a statistical anomaly um so there's this whole paradigm is created now about okay so what do we mean when we say mental health then or mental health issues or struggles or mental illness or anxiety and so as the season went on i continued to prove that i could compete at the highest level against guys who were projected to be first round picks this went into the NCAA tournament that's going on now. My team, Iowa State's playing tonight, actually, um, in the Sweet 16. But, but in our tournament, we played the defending champs, UConn, coached by Jim Calhoun at the time. And I had an incredible game against them. They had two high level first round picks projected in that game. And then we played Kentucky, who had Anthony Davis on the team at the time and six other first round draft picks projected. And I, and I was the dominant player in that game. So then, you know, the, the talk was, okay, this guy's probably one of the most NBA ready players in his class. I declare for the draft and something very, very strange you could say happened. It exploded the mental health conversation because now the question was, how does the NBA view mental illness? Do they view it as a character flaw or do they view it as, the, the, you know, this, this integral piece of this comprehensive health model? Right. This progressive view of health and mental health as a spectrum where everybody has a mental health. Right. So th that question was posed by the, the mainstream establishment. And the answer was they did view it as a character flaw. And I pushed back on that narrative immediately. Like as soon as the story start to drop, Sports Illustrated, USA Today, Royce is declaring for the draft. But he's a mystery pick because of this whole anxiety snafu. Um, I'm going, no, 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 this ain't a character flaw. And the fact that it's even a question proves that you guys don't understand the real dynamic of what's happening with this mental health crisis. Long story short, I get drafted um, to the Houston Rockets 16th, but I was projected to have a, a top five talent, NBA ready skill set. And um, upon my arrival in the NBA, I discovered by reading through my collective bargain agreement, our CBA, um, that there wasn't a single mention of mental health in the entire document. And I went to my team and I said, listen, 
I want I want to be as good of a player and as productive as I possibly can be for you guys. But I understand that obviously by the language in this document that the understanding around mental health and the issue like the one I deal with anxiety disorders is lacking. And I'm willing to have an open conversation with you guys transparently about what I deal with so that we can have a better relationship and and trying to make me the most productive player I could be. Okay, they said, Okay, that's that's good. Um, Okay, well, let's put it in writing, I said. Let's figure this out. Well, how, how does this look in writing? Oh, we can't put any of this in writing. I go, why not? The, the color of the socks a guy has to wear in the game is in writing. Is it really? Oh, it absolutely <laughs> is. And, and the penalties. And the, the real reason that I said we needed to put it in writing because the CBA already had a banned substance list that had anti-anxiety medication on it. Whoa. Okay, so now I'm going, everybody's telling this narrative that the pro sports world is uninitiated with mental health as a topic. But here's this banned substance list with tons of mental health related content in it. So somebody knew something about mental health yeah. or knows something. And so I said, okay, so let's say, for example, um, it, they basically said, well, look, you can take the Xanax because Xanax was on the banned substance. You can take it. Don't worry. You got a doctor's prescription. And I go, well, wait a minute. Why is it on the list? Is it because if you take Xanax for two weeks, even as prescribed, you can get addicted. And that is the truth about Xanax. It's the most addictive drug there is in the world. Um, and so they were right to have it on the banned substance list. But my point was to say, hey, the reason I mostly take Xanax is because I have I have a fear of flying or that fear of flying exacerbates my anxiety. So how about we cut some of the Xanax out per year by allowing me to drive from Minnesota to, say, Chicago? Six hour drive. A little bit longer hike than a, than a private charter jet, you know, catered and all of that. But I was willing to take the hit because I understood the, da- the dangers of taking Xanax for nine months continuously. And they said, oh, no, we can't do that. And so that's where the fight began ultimately between me and the league. And, 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 and I became this spokesperson on mental health. And what I was really trying to say is like, it wasn't about me getting special or preferential treatment. It was to say that the NBA represents a global corporate community which they do. Yeah. In fact, it's the watering hole for every industry in, in our society. And that there was something wrong with the global corporate community and how they viewed humanity. And that mental health wasn't about the DSM or, or diagnosis. It was to say that uh, mental health is, a, is another way to say the human condition where mind, body and spirit converge. And they wanted nothing to do with that. And they blackballed me for that. And they told me, you're too smart for your own good. We agree with you about mental health. We agree it's an epidemic. We agree it's the crisis over the hill. But who are you to tell us to change anything? You don't have any leverage. Uh, so, you, so you can either play or you'll never become the spokesperson that you could and we could make you be on this issue. And I've been fighting that battle for the last 10 years. Did you leave the league right away? Um, I gave them the ultimatum that we needed to put a mental health policy in place or that I wouldn't, I wouldn't play. And then what happened? Um, I was traded from Houston to, well, what happened was the Houston Rockets owner at the time, Leslie Alexander, who now sold the team to Fertitta, um, uh, who owns it now, but, but at the time was Leslie, Leslie Alexander and his attorney, uh, said to me, Hey, my daughter has anxiety. His name is Mr. Goldberg. He comes into a meeting. First of all, they forced me to go to psychiatrist every day. And the psychiatrist told him, don't do that. This isn't about him needing psychiatric help. He's telling you guys that we need something in writing that acknowledges mental health 
as a core component of overall health. And I agree with him. So then they got pissed off at the psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and so they made me do that every day or else I would be fined. They said, mm. so I went, I said, okay, I'll go. Me and this guy could chat it up. Actually, we'll start designing the policy, which we did. <laughs> um, and, uh, basically they walked in there and after two months of, of back and forth and them telling me that, you know, for me to bust to a game could be a salary cap infringement and, you know, uh, all of these other weird kind of, you know, business t- tactics, intimidation tactics. Um, they finally just came in and said they had a, they sent an emissary, right? And it was this attorney and he goes, listen, my daughter has anxiety. She doesn't like to fly either, but I'd make her and she'll thank me for it later. She hates me now. Um, I agree with you. This is a big issue. And if you agree to go to our D League, which is now called the G League minor league affiliate um, in the offseason, I'll help you put this mental health policy in place and I'll make sure that the owners accept it. When the offseason came, there was no talk of that policy. And I was traded to Philadelphia um, and Philadelphia released me before the season started, even though the local media there in Philly thought that I was a shoe in to make that team. Um, but Sam Hinkie, who was who had been the assistant GM under Daryl Morey, who was an interesting character in this whole uh, story arc. Um, he was the understudy of Daryl Morey. So they basically did a trade and dump. Um, and, and, and I was, you know, 21 years old. I was naive. I had the inclination or the instinct to block the trade, um, but I was encouraged by the union that it would be maybe advantageous for me because Philadelphia is in this East Coast, Coast corridor and there's a lot of games that I would be able to drive to uh, throughout the season. So, you know, ultimately after the Philadelphia thing, I just didn't get another shot. I wrote letters. I, you know, I, I had I had medical professionals, mental health professionals write letters and say this mental health issue is real, that the NBA is in a perfect position to to back up its 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 promotion of caring about the greater good um, by, by just putting in a very simple, doable mental health policy. And uh, they just ignored me. Why do you think they did that? At the time, I thought it was because they didn't there was something they didn't know. I was arrogant. I was mistaken. I was naive. I, I thought that I was going to be able to bridge the gap through genuine uh, in, uh, participation of some type of some type of uh, attitude or perspective that they had gotten wrong. But that wasn't the case. The entire corporatocracy knew that psychological uh, that, that the, the predatory um, predation, let's say, on, on the human psychology was the next iteration of the war that they wanted to wage on the common people. I didn't get, I didn't get that at the time that social media was around the corner and the dopamine, uh, the, the, the dopamine war was coming down the, coming around the, they knew it. So when I went to talk about mental health and say, Hey, hold on, there's a mental health, there's a cultural mental health renaissance and revolution that needs to happen here right now. I'm sitting there thinking that they had uh, archaic views about mental health, but I was mistaken. They were advanced around the human psychology and they planned to be predatory with it. So they were planning on like, like they knew that it was going to be weaponized, like the like mental oh, illness yeah. would be weaponized. So they, they didn't want to get involved let me, let in me, it or something. Let, let me Go interject ahead. real quick. There are companies when it comes to mobile apps, there was a, a viral, uh, I covered this several years ago. A company says we can program your audience for you. So yes. when you've got big companies that are planning on making mobile apps, they're going to consultants saying, how can we make it so that people can become addicted to this? And then the company will analyze their data and be like, do these things and people will become addicts. Yeah. It's digital addictions. So, um, and you can, you can, uh, place that or stand that next to a 21 year old kid coming in saying, Hey, why is the alcohol cut off not at halftime? 
Why is it okay? Why is it morally and ethically okay for us to use taxpayer money to build these arenas and then build parking structures where we basically incentivize people to drink and drive with their kid or come to the game and get drunk in front of their kid or or even worse, somebody else's kid and yell this belligerent shit at the game? Like, oh, how? They were like, and I'm sitting here saying all of this based on logic and reason. They're like, we're about to go to town on the working class through psychological manipulation. It, we, I think I think it, it's 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 simpler put, to be honest, because I think, you know, the way you describe it is is what's happening. But their attitude is probably like, how much did we just pay this guy to make our mobile app that that makes these these young kids addicted to it? Fifty million. Fifty million. We can't have this guy screwing that up. Yeah. Right. So they thought you were a threat to the system that you were going to gain too much power and influence in the system. Twofold. Twofold. Yeah. Yes. But there's there's a canary in the coal mine in this situation. Yes, in the immediate, they're like, uh, this kid is trying to change the status quo, and that's a danger. But the mental health topic as a topic in general is the one topic that puts a mirror up to the individual. So you know, in spirit, they didn't want to have the mental health conversation because they didn't want to have to look at themselves. Your your story to me sounds like you know you, you, you thought that once you got in, people would be willing to engage with you and you'd have a positive impact. But the reality is for, for any, for, for political office even, you end up getting into a position where there's a train coming at you and you're trying to push against it. That, that train's gonna keep coming. So you go in in good faith, think you're gonna have this impact, and then we hear it across the board from the presidency to members of Congress. It's like as soon as you get in, the machine controls you. Yeah. That, and then if you, if you resist it enough, eventually the machine just shoves you out of the way. And, you know, as a young kid growing up, I grew up in the Michael Jordan era. All right. In the Twin Cities, I mean, Chicago, WGN. We oh, got yeah, all man. the local Bulls games in the nineties. Huh? Yeah, we had WGN <laughs> in the Twin Cities, so yeah. we got to see all the home Bulls games. So, so I was a basketball lover, right? And and when you when you grow up in a single mother household, and she pays the rent with her tips, mm. and and you go to the gym and you create a relationship with the with the local recreation center uh, manager. And, and, and he allows you to spend that extra time in the gym all by yourself, just shooting, just shooting, playing games with yourself to a hundred. I'm the Bulls one night. I'm the other team the other night. Uh, you, you grow up with a, 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 a very naive view of what the basketball industry or basketball itself is all about. And, and I really thought, uh, that, that the NBA was this institution. Uh, that, that was, that was based on all of the things that basketball had been for me growing up. A safe haven, a place of, of teamwork and hard work, genuineness, meritocracy. Uh, and you get there and it's just like, nah, kid, that we're a cog in the machine and, and don't, don't rail against us because we'll squash you. How do you get, so, so what's the next step in this process for you? How do you get from there to now you're running as a, you're running as a Republican against Ilhan Omar? Seems like there's a big, the big, something big happened in between there. Well, a lot of things happen, but, but mainly that, the same liberal establishment that I've watched take hold of the, the cultural narrative over the last 10 years was the same one that tried to defame me and, and poke fun at me 10 years ago. It's the same one that is uh, making a lot of money in China. Absolutely. And and so, you know, it, I was in Canada for two years. I saw them go after Jordan Peterson. Mm. I was living there, playing for London Lightning in London, Ontario, in the the, uh, the National Basketball League of Canada. And... um I watched that. It, it, it was the most peculiar thing because I was a nomad up until that point. 
was a cultural Democrat, as many young black men are growing up in these inner cities. They're cultural Democrats, although they tend to be conservative, really culturally, but in party affiliation, they tend to be Democrat. Um, and it was just the oddest thing to me. I had never seen j- just me personally for somehow I had never seen people go after somebody who was so reasonable and logical and just seemed to be kind of a nice guy with such obscene and ridiculous points. And and I'm sitting here as a person who fought the NBA going, I have genuine points about the establishment that we should be talking about. Why are you guys going after him about pronouns? I don't get it. And so I watched that. And then I came back from Canada, played in the big three. Um, and while I was playing in the big three, I started to talk about, you know, broader issues politically, Edward Snowden, um, uh, Julian Assange, the, the concentration camps in, in China, uh, Epstein, you know, all of this. this was back in 2019. Uh, and then I wrote a book, an open letter to LeBron James uh, entitled Epistle to the King. And I basically lay this out from post-World War II uh, all the way up until the, the 2016 election of Donald Trump of how the black community has been basically used as this linchpin, this cultural linchpin uh, of this Marxist, you know, this sort of Marxist globalist revolution. Uh, and then George Floyd happened. And you were right there. Well, the pandemic happened first. Yeah. And I was I was introduced to Steve Bannon's show. I was introduced to his PBS frontline interview. I had already knew about him since 2000, you know, since Trump ran. But I didn't really do a deep dive. I still had a, a surface view of him. Then I saw the PBS frontline interview and then the pandemic broke out. Then I got introduced to War Room like it, as soon as the pandemic broke out. And I was listening to it every day. It was the most accurate uh, coverage of the pandemic at the day was pretty much some of the only coverage. And then George Floyd happened two months later in May. That was yeah, March. Uh, and then May, George Floyd happened. What did that change just, for I, you? Go ahead. I just got to bring up one quick point as we get into George Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know that story about the mural of George Floyd with the crown that got struck by lightning and exploded? I don't know that story. There's a wall. I know a, the with wall. With a mural. Yeah. And you, oh, so, so in the middle was, was George Floyd and there was a crown over his head. On a, a partly cloudy day, meteorologists reported a lightning strike. Witnesses said they saw the lightning strike, and it blew out only wow. George Floyd from the building. The whole building was like wow. no no roof damage. That's just a freaky story that I you know I want to bring up you know whenever it comes to the George Floyd stuff because that's crazy. God's wrath is fast or metallic that's paint what everyone, or both. Both but, could but be both. like like someone staged it or something. I don't know. That's crazy. Is that me. true? This, this Someone staged. Oh the... no, no, I, I have no explanation. Okay, yeah, like God's wrath. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's what a lot of people felt. Yeah. Like, or that that lady who was mocking the the, the pandemic, and then you do you see this one, the comedian, mm-hmm. and then she just faints, just like falls back and hits her head. COVID. Yeah, she was she was making but, fun but of. I just wanted to bring up the George Floyd thing because there's a, that, that, that weird moment that happened. But uh, so, well, she George, said Jesus loves me the most, and right. that's when yeah. she fell yeah, down. That's right. It was like, yeah. God, yeah. It was like, nah. And then she hit her Jesus head. loves everyone no, the you, same. You bro. Can't, and yeah, you can't. Well, what we talk about Christianity? <laughs> Taking God's name in vain is a, is a grave sin, and the, but, and the wrath is quick. You really can't. Mess but with I, I don't. It. It's I don't, not I worth don't, messing around. I don't want to derail. I just yeah. wanted to mention that story because it's crazy. But so, so now George, George Floyd. Floyd. So look, the George Floyd thing happened. So I, I write this letter to LeBron James where I basically lay out how black people, specifically pop black figures, have been used as a three card Monty uh, to to not only uh, keep the black community in this sub, subverse, you know, uh, in this place of submission as a community, but they've been used to now go and attack the rights of others on the grounds of this cultural 
you know, this culture war and an information war. So I lay this out in the book. The book's 255 pages. It ends up being it's like 40,000 words or something. And then George Floyd happens. And my whole point to LeBron James was to say that in the position you've been given, God given, that you have an obligation to lead in a way that's more genuine, authentic and honest. That was the whole crooks of the book. But I had to go through the history. Right. To because to, to, I can't. I can't just assume that he's initiated into this post-World War mm-hmm. II liberal world order type. You know, I, I just didn't assume that. So I kind of took him through it in good faith. And then George Floyd happens and I'm like, oh, I just wrote about what I need to go do. Right. And so I knew from watching the narrative be be, uh, you know, crafted and manipulated by the, the, the mainstream media that they were going to try and hijack that moment in a variety of ways. And I knew that I was perfectly positioned to go into my community and lead in a way that, that changed the narrative. And that's what I did. We, you know, uh, we, we led several, first of all, chaos broke out. There was fires, there was unrest, real, real unrest that was on the verge of being anarchy. It was anarchy, but it was on the verge of getting really out, out there. Um, and in the middle of that, I said, I called my basketball friends up, other guys who have big names in Minnesota, sports community at least and i said we got to go do something i'm leading this protest if you don't come don't shake my hand we're not friends no more this is you guys got to put more in um and we led peaceful protests but i wasn't going to allow the mainstream media or their blm subsidiary uh dictate the tone of the protest so instead of going to the first precinct we went to the federal reserve <laughs> right uh and and uh you know a lot of these young white liberal women who want to participate and and you know were are really passionate and active I'm sitting on top of the stoop outside the outside of the Federal Reserve and we're doing a die in at the Federal Reserve and they're looking at me like I got three eyes like why are we here mm-hmm. and that's when it hit me it hit me that this this entire this entire culture war information war is not just a byproduct of individual people uh, having low morals and ethics. That is a part of it. But but the establishment has gotten really good at fooling people. And I, and I was able to go out and fight that uh, just by being one man uh, with a profile in my community that had gained the respect of a few people in my immediate circle. Uh, and, and who would stand around me at a moment of, of chaos and turmoil and lead physically take dominion in a community and say, hey, if you have a grievance, that's great. That's that's good. You should participate as a citizen peacefully. And if you want to negotiate the social contract between you and the state, you first have to identify the institutions that really preside over you. So we're on our way to the Fed. And if you don't know what the Fed is, when we get here and do this dying, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. <laughs> The mainstream media didn't even want to cover that. They they wanted it to seem like I was a emerging uh, civil rights activist for Black Lives Matter. And they didn't want to give me any airtime once again to explain my position because it's antithetical to what they were trying to accomplish. And so that's how eventually um, in 2020, when we played with the big three again, Jeff Quatnitz, who was a co-owner with Ice Cube, used to be partners with Steve Bannon. And I told Jeff, if you don't introduce me to Steve. Me and you aren't friends anymore. <laughs> and, and Jeff goes, I got you. He sends me the number right away and I get hooked up with Steve. We start to have great conversations, build a relationship. He's a mentor, friend of mine, and, and, and the rest is history. When, uh, uh, so uh, in, in Minnesota, you're, uh, which, uh, which district are you? Five? CD5, yeah. CD5. Um, what's, what's going on with that right now? Ilan Omar is obviously, she's the incumbent. Is there, is there a Republican primary with a bunch of candidates? Um, 
there's two other candidates in the field right now, CeCe Davis uh, and a woman named Shakri Abdi-Rahman. Uh, and uh, our convention is on April 2nd. So coming up here in a, in a, in a few weeks for the endorsement. Um, and and our, our primary wouldn't be until August 9th. So we have a late primary. And, and yeah, you know, I'm not certain what those two hope to do. I kind of like CeCe Davis just in general. I, I kind of enjoy her. She's been on Fox a few times and I've heard her speak. I met her uh, one day just randomly at a restaurant there in our, our local watering hole. So I enjoy her. Um, I, I don't think that she has the understanding of, of, of how the global affects the local to be effective right now. Um, but but the other candidate, Shukri Abdi-Rahman, I think she's a she's a plant. I'm just going to say it. You know, when when you start saying I'm an ex-veteran, Muslim, Somali, immigrant, who's a battered woman, I have three kids, I'm a single mother, you're just playing the same identity politics game that, that the Democrats have played. And she's Somali. I mean, I, I, this sounds like, this would sound like conspiracy theory, but I can completely see in a guy like Soros taking a, 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 a very similar Republican candidate, putting a Republican tag on them and running the same identity Marxist political game theory, uh, you know, and hedges bets. So, you know, I just it, not saying that that's true. I'm just saying that the rhetoric from her is like uh, I'm uh, a neoliberal who's Republican. And and I just think that that's completely inappropriate. I think it's it's uh, manipulative, dishonest. And, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I'm the GOP candidate. Now, here's a challenge. This is a D26 district. Yeah. I still uh, so there there was a, a lot of people were complaining about uh, Kimberly Clasic. You said it's D twenty six. D twenty six. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, for those that aren't familiar, that's like a twenty six percent advantage typically for Democrats. Yeah. Two to two to one uh, Democrat Republican. There were a lot of people saying that uh, Kim Clasic was wasting people's money and energy by yeah. trying to run in an area that was so heavy, uh, heavily Democrat. I disagree, man. If if Republicans and Democrats, well, th- thank you for that, Tim. No, I appreciate that. No, but listen, listen. If uh, at the very least, the fact that you are running. You are spreading a message. You are telling people there's an alternative. You're telling people there's an option. If no one ever tries in these districts to even to, to win at all, you well, lose the whole thing slowly. Then there's no message. But you lose. The, the more right, important right. thing is that, and this this is a this is a fair criticism of the the Republican establishment. I think, and myself being an athlete, a lifelong athlete and competitor, if you're on a team, if us four are on a team, and we come to practice every day, you show up late. You smoke weed during the week. You party. You don't get sleep. When we get to practice, you don't know the plays. You, you, you know, you, you you come in late, right? You, you, when when the guy in front of you goes and, and does what he's supposed to do, you don't do it. You don't pay attention to him. The coach is talking. You're playing with your hair or telling a joke. All that I can deduct from that is that you don't want to win. You don't want to play, and you don't want to win. Uh, and I think the Republican establishment has to be, you know, there has to be real um, – there has to be a very real skepticism of the genuineness of the Republican platform at the party level right now, because where is the evidence that they want to actually win these elections? I think they just want to stay. There's no urgency. I don't sense any urgency from candidates anymore, from people that are already in. They're just trying to collect a paycheck and stay in office. They spend two years. Either that or they're in running on Running for re-election. Either oh, that or they're in on in it. On what? They are in on it. On what? When you say uh, the The post world, the, the post uh the, the new liberal ward order. You think they're getting bought out, like by, and don't realize they're getting bought out by? No, the I liberal think order? I think a lot of them are the controlled opposition. And, and look, I don't want to be disparaging to the Republican Party because I just got here. 
I'm just a third party who came from the void as a nomad and renegade anti-establishment guy. And I'm saying that the evidence of the Republicans trying to actually put forward an effort to really win and fight in these districts that they say are unwinnable is, is so few and far between that I can't come up with any other reason that either they're just losers, some of them, or they're actually in on it and, and they're getting a kickback for the, for the managed decline. Let me, let me, let me tell you, man, in West Virginia, second most Trump supporting state, these schools are all woke. The school boards are woke. And there are people who are conservative who think those crazy problems don't affect my kids because we're in West Virginia. They don't go to the meetings. And it turns out these, these, these schools, you've got all of the critical race theory. You've got all the wokeness, gender ideology. You've got the left, the Democrats and the progressives going into red areas, spreading the word, recruiting, trying to slip it in under the, the, uh, the, the, uh, under the, under the door. In big, in, in urban areas, Republicans are told don't bother fighting at all. You're wasting time and energy. It's a, it's a lopsided, it's asymmetrical warfare. How do you, how did they plan to win? Look, <laughs> and here's the, here's the other thing. The Democrat platform, the, the, the neoliberal Marxist globalist platform has a better sales pitch in the physical realm. It says anything goes. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Anything that your little heart desires, you can have. And there is no judgment about it. That's a good sales pitch for the physical realm, for the here and now, which is kind of how the Bible becomes profound in saying that this thing is all going to go to hell eventually because people become more interested and their wickedness than they are in their, their faith in God. So we, my point in bringing that up is not to, to, to say that this needs to become a theocracy or to say, you know, to try and be a Bible thumper. But what I'm saying is that it's very clear that that, that paradigm should incentivize and make it even more urgent that the Republicans have to fight at every place that they possibly can. Cause if not, you already you have to transform hearts and minds and see a, a bigger a, a, a give people deeper meaning to their life because the drugs and the fast validation and, and reward is on the Democrat side. It is it is true that George Soros provided funding for local district district attorneys in a variety of places around the country. That that's I think the Guardian reported on that. Fox News got all mad when Newt Gingrich said it, and he was like, <laughs> "What? Like this is like mainstream reporting that yeah. doing this." So you've got. Powerful leftist organizations and institutions going into conservative areas, changing how the laws are being enforced, changing how schools are teaching these kids. Florida, for instance, right? 
I mean, they're passing these laws because they have the political power to do so, and it is an issue. But hearing it in West Virginia, people don't want to believe it. Republicans need to be going into blue districts and, and doing what you're doing, yep. coming on shows, uh, writing books, putting out the messages, speaking, and just in general, doing the same thing. Where, where are the conservatives, moderates or libertarians? I mean, come on, libertarians, let's get some libertarians to go to go run for school board in a blue in a blue area. Yeah, they don't they don't do it. I mean, I come from a cultural Democrat community, and I can just say that the conservative representation as I was growing up is completely non-existent. Yeah. And, and so I'm 30. So it's not just in the here and now that the Republicans haven't pushed back or, 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 or dedicated or invested in the minority vote. And I don't say minority to play uh, intersectional politics. I'm just saying that minorities at this demographic, Latinos and blacks, make up a significant portion of the voter base. And they... I wouldn't I had no idea what the Republican platform is. is, And that's not all due to the Democrats or the mainstream media. That's due to a laziness and an inaction on their behalf. So I'm happy to be able to fight, you know, for that now. Whenever, uh, you know, Seamus is is on the show fairly often and we'll talk about religion and we'll often point out to people and we're having conversations, maybe like off the show or whatever. A lot of the arguments made by uh, secular liberals and atheists tend to be a caricature of the beliefs of Christians, Christian conservatives or, you know, Christian groups because they don't interact with them. Typically, typically what you'll see is, you know, we, we talk about there'll be a meme ascribing a belief to conservatives that isn't true. And then you actually ask someone who's a regular churchgoer and they'll be like, we don't, we don't do that. I think the issue is one thing they don't really do is go into these areas and just meet and talk with people, be active in the school, these school meetings, actively uh, campaign put up billboards, try and actually run. You might not be able to win. And herein lies the problem. Who's going to want to invest millions of dollars into a congressional campaign in a D plus 26 district? But if you do it once, you do it twice, maybe the third time you can take that district. Well, listen, I think we got a very good chance. I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. Real quick, look at Miami. Look at Miami. Uh, A Miami district flipped Republican, and it was like D plus 20 or something. Let me see if I can pull that one up. I agree with you, and I think the Republican Party – or the free people, let's say, in this country, um, should should definitely invest in in putting up the fight, um, and and I believe in the war of attrition. But I will say that I think we have a good chance of beating her in this election. I think you're interesting because you have a unique perspective on mental health. I have a feeling that a lot of what people are going through now is is a lot of mental health issues. I went through it in like 2006, seven when I got into social media, started doing internet videos, and I went slowly, went crazy, rapidly went crazy. After like two years, I, I wanted to kill myself. Literally, I was like, this is it. There's nothing to live for at this point. The world economic war, it's taken over. I'm just here to die. That was my <laughs> thought. It was yeah. horrifying. And- I think so many people are going through that right now, this despair, and then they're medicating. And I mean, you want to talk about the, the, the medical global military or medical industry. You name that as one of your five heads on the hydro, yep. the food and medical industry combined the sugar industry. Uh, the food is the medical industrial complex, dude. Yeah. If, if these people that, and I think because they're, they're numbed and they're afraid, they're just voting for what the TV tells them to vote for. True. And well, they, need a, they need a, a, a well, voice well, well, that they can relate to. Here, here's, here, I'll say this. I agree with you. Um, so so when the globalists, for example, say you're going to own nothing and be happy, they don't mean we're going to make your lives more meaningful or, or, or more healthy. They're saying we're going to make the material high so good that you're not going to notice we're stealing from you. You're not going to notice that we're fucking you. Right. And that, that's really what they mean when they say it. And what they're relying on ultimately is to say we're big and you're small. So so even if you know and a lot of cultural Democrats and liberals do 
and are amenable to the idea that there is a system or the man or an elite that are screwing them. But their M.O. is that I have no power in that game. All I and that's how that's part of how um, a lot of the politics at the grassroots level have devolved into the identity politics because they say, well, if I can't win at a big scale, then I'm going to make you say my pronouns. And that's how they feel power. No, I just want to point out uh, Florida's 27th congressional district currently has a Republican, Maria Elvira Salazar. It's a D plus four. I think she was on uh, with Tucker though recently, wasn't wasn't she? Was that her? I don't remember. Maybe. People were m- maybe that was her. But uh, D plus four, not D plus twenty. So I was wrong about that. And maybe you're a Republican. You're like, I think we can get a D plus four. We can try. But this was considered safe Democrat in in all of the polling. They were like, it's it's heavy blue. It's not going to flip. And then it did. I think there actually was another uh, district that flipped as well. It was two districts. Maybe maybe one was that. This is a Barack Obama district. Yeah. This is a Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton district huh. that now has a Republican representing it. We can't write. The, here, here's part of what's happened with the Republican Party, I believe. I'll say this. I think because they have a fundamental um, that there that there's a there's a thread of Christianity baked into the Republican Party mm. that they rightfully they they rightfully now see the order of charity in the proper way that the order of charity is local. They've just been pushed to their little corners. And now the order of charity is what he's saying is right around them. And they're going, we don't have to go back into the belly of the beast with the ministry of truth. And I think Republicans and many Christians have forgotten about the importance of ministry. And that's what we're talking about here. And that's what I did when George Floyd, the George Floyd situation happened. I took a ministry of truth into the belly of the beast. And I confronted the lies, rebuke and refute. So, and, and I'm not, I'm not condemning uh, Republicans and Christians on the right for, for doing that because I understand that the order of charity is proper and that the order of charity is first that which is local to you, um, your, yourself, your family and your immediate community. Um, but we are at war and, and the rules change when you're at war and we're in a culture war and an information war. And as you see, we're in a, in a, and we're in a kinetic guns up war as well. Yeah. The 26th district is also D plus one and that's a Republican right now as well. So those projections were way off. People can make a change if you go out and you actually fight for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Rapidly too with the internet. Look at the, look at the NCAA tournament right now. Look at St. Peter's, the 15th seed. Oh, what's come happening? on. They're in the sweet 16, man. I, I just come from the sports world where the underdog is n- not only can you win, but it's so it feels so damn good <laughs> when you're the underdog and you win anyway. So just as a sportsman and a, and a competitor, uh, th- this was the only I could have run in a district that was more red. I could have run in a statewide race where we had a bigger Republican constituency, governor, Senate. Um, but but to go into the belly of the beast first is honorable. It's it's actually fruitful, in my opinion. I moved to New York City after college, uh, 2001, September 5th, six days before the buildings came down. And uh, my dad was like, you're going into the belly of the beast, Ian. Yeah. Put this $20 in your sock. Praise God. I was Let's, like, all right, here God. we go, brother. Let, let, me, let me pull up this story. It seems to be – it's just a weird story, but it's a belly of the beast, man. We got this story from the Daily Mail. Ben and Jerry's manager is accused of dousing mentally ill homeless person with a bucket of water because she was crying on the sidewalk outside of the store in San Francisco. I don't even want to play the video. Um, it's just a crying homeless person. It's Dude apparently comes out and splashes water on him. But there's there's so much here. Obviously, there's like a culture, a uh, cancel culture outrage going on over this, and people yeah. on social media are like, "How dare you?" But man, does this hit at the very serious problems of cities like San Francisco, 
with representation like Nancy Pelosi. Granted, she's at the federal level, but still, this is her city. She doesn't seem to care about it. You've got the homeless crisis. You've got the drug crisis. You've got the failed policies. You've got human waste all over the streets. And then you've got people saying that California is five years ahead of the rest of the country. So you look at stories like this, <laughs> and it's like this Ben and Jerry's manager is just like a regular guy. Yeah. Is this Ben and Jerry's like the ice cream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the woke ice cream company. The woke yeah. ice cream company. That's the, right. The, the extremely politically correct woke ice cream company. What was, what was as that? As long as it's not homeless people. What right? was that really <laughs> awful flavor they had? It was woke and had like a weird thing in it. I can't remember what it was. I'll cinnamon. try and look. It had cinnamon in it. You hated no, it. No, no. What? I love yeah, cinnamon. What are you talking about? I hated about? that one. I yeah, absolutely weird. love cinnamon. I enjoyed that's that. That's weird. weird. You are so wrong. <laughs> I, am, okay. I am offended that someone. Cinnamon bun ice cream. So good. You ever sucked on a cinnamon stick before? No. That's pretty good. Oh, you ever do the cinnamon challenge you guys ever do that you no. take a scoop of cinnamon and you put it in your mouth and oh, it's, it don't I'm not suggesting you do it, it. <laughs> just don't breathe out your nose yeah. I did but, it with Shea but, Carl but talking to hold it down. about what happens to a city when you don't fight for it you lose it yeah and, and, and then some I mean wh- would you describe San Francisco as being lost or maybe something worse it's it's just it devolves into to Satanism. I lived there so. for a little while. You guys ever lived there? I've been there. I've I've never lived there, but I've passed through for periods of time. And it wasn't as bad when I was there. This was a long, long time ago. It was like but, 2015 for me. It was and pretty to nice. be fair, it's like what you're saying. You have to keep fighting because the. Uh, I mean, I hate to make this a left versus right thing. They're not going to stop. Like I still get like I am shocked by how many door to door campaigners I would get in Minnesota in areas that were safe blue right yeah. uh and the amount of messages you get from you know this is so and so from this campaign and you're like stop messaging me yeah. and you're still going to keep getting them and you're still going to keep getting because they never stop so if you're going to at least try to make a change how can you just say oh well this district is clearly blue why would i even try they're going to try they're going to go into those red districts and they're going to keep trying oh, whether it's through the educational system whether it's door-to-door campaigning sending you messages they will not stop it's cultural on every level so we can't you know again i hate making this a left versus right thing because i don't consider myself right. a republican or a democrat or any of that but you You're can't stop there you yeah, go. Say so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like, you you have to at least be willing to fight for it. Or what's the point? You're just giving in. Yeah. No, I mean, and these people aren't messing around. They're not kidding around. I mean, I, th- I think the whole three-card Monty manipulation is whoever the voters are now, let's guilt them into voting Democrat uh, because Republicans are racist. And, and while that takes place, um, we will we will use those wins to systematically go into – uh, the communities at the grassroots educational school level and indoctrinate the next generation so that we won't even have to, we won't even have to lie anymore. We won't even have to manipulate them. They'll believe the things we believe. The three car Monty is like that game where you have three cups with like a ball under it. And four so, cards. Or whatever. And so you're saying they're using the, the black community as like a distraction and they're getting people to look away so that they the can ho- move the card. The Holocaust and Adolf Hitler are the scapegoat and the justification for new world order. Black people are the justification for authoritarianism, uh, authoritarian church of LGBTQ anti-human American politics. Same game. The, the, the same game. I, I, I got a question about this, yeah. right? That they, uh, some politician recently said in the past couple of years that the, for Democrats, the, the, the way to the black vote is through the church. And, and I've, you've heard that before, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm lie. just, but I'm wondering why, why. 50, 50% true. I get what they're saying, but it's a lie. But you constantly hear about these Democrats going to these black churches to get votes or whatever. And they say that, oh, it's because the churches have sway in the community. And then, but now. Overblown, I think. Right, right. Well, tell me about that. Why, why, where does that trip come from? I think the biggest, I think the biggest, um, two things. One, it's through pop culture. It's, it's through the, the subtle, um, very, 
underhanded presentation of a white supremacy <clears throat> patriarchy and that if you vote Republican, then that is the patriarchy. And so black people are just, but it's also the Republicans don't feel the need to clear that up. Right. They haven't felt the need <laughs> to clear that story up. And I get it. I mean, if they, it's just not going to win the game. I was like Morgan Freeman. He was like, don't call me a black man. I'm not going to call you a white man. We're just men. Yeah. You well, some of that, I mean, look, here's the thing with the, I, we can't, we, there's a very real, from a biology standpoint, I don't like on the right when people say, well, race isn't even real. Like race is only real. But OK, go to a state penitentiary and see how people group themselves out of self-defense and preservation. Race is real. And people group themselves in certain ways based on how they look and, and like cultural values. And there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is when you give yourself the right to to violate somebody else's uh, natural God-given inalienable human rights based on their race. There's nothing wrong to say you're a, you're a, you're a mixed race man. <laughs> but you, you look like my my grandmother looks whiter than you by the way. She was Norwegian. But you're a white man, I'm a black man and and that's fine. It was interesting you said it was that. based on how they look and how their culture of values are, but not really about who their ancestors were. Right. It really it's it's an illusion, it's that illusion of what they look see, like. But the, see because the ancestor thing once you get there it all gets murky. Because what is white if you go ancestral? Yeah, Irish, we, we, Spanish, Italian. We, your your guy. Who who's the guy who came pick me up? No. Oh, oh, uh, I don't know who picked you up. Uh, been Brian? Oh, Brian. 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 Yeah, Brian. my guy Brian. My guy Brian. He's in the front seat of the car. He's driving, and he goes, uh, "Yeah, I'm Italian." <laughs> yeah. And I go, "Huh?" Amazing. I know. Right. But he was like, "But I joined the army in the German, and I was on a military base. So is he technically?" He's an Italian citizen. He's American. All I'm saying is that what is white gets murky. Black is different. I'll tell you why. Because black were you know, full swath brought over in a in a transatlantic slave trade, and we lost our indigenous ties. But a lot of the white uh, immigrants that came to this country came with those cultural ethnic uh, heritages still intact. So. Yeah, I mean, it gets murky when you go to the ancestral place. I would say that if you look at communities, um, black blacks tend to be grouped in certain areas, but that's changing. There's gentrification. Um, but there's nothing wrong with saying that there's race. I, I don't like when pe the right sometimes has this boomerang effect where whatever the absurd cultural narrative is on the left, they just go opposite out of. That happened with the, the Florida parental rights and education bill. Yeah. I started seeing a bunch of conservatives following following the narrative of the left that the bill stopped teachers from saying you know teaching kids about being gay or whatever yeah. which is just absolutely not true the bill in no way stops teachers from walking up to a kid and saying these things and i'm like the the, the bill came out it, there was a debate and amendments over it and then the bill that was seeking to be passed had has says nothing to do about banning the word gay it just says you can't have you know sex ed effectively for pre-k to third grade but the democrats ran with this narrative because it was effective and then I saw, I saw Republicans arguing that narrative. And I'm like, you, it's made up. You're not arguing anything because there's, there's nothing there. Yeah. But they, they, they walk into these traps. Yeah. Well, and it's just, you know, it, it's part of its laziness, um, you know, and just intellectual laziness. And we built a society that makes it very hard to be a, a, a deep, critical thinker. Yeah, I like talking about the differences of genetics, of species, of people because of the ancestry. Like, that's fascinating to me that sickle cell anemia, for instance, was showing up more readily in, like, the black community in the yep. 60s or something because yep. of some genetic difference of genetics of ancestry. I don't know. But it's interesting to talk about with everybody, any race, color, in person of any language. It's interesting stuff. Like, it's good think, to know, too. I think the issue with... Uh, 
Racism. Mm-hmm. We've, we've talked to a lot of people about it. The reason why it's it's very obviously rejected by most people, especially in modern times, is that, you know, if you have a guy from Somalia and a guy from, say, Haiti, they might both have dark skin but be wildly different in terms yeah, of absolutely. their genetics. You know, right. one guy might be small, one might, might, might be tall. But then if you have laws or policy based on race, how do you actually determine someone? It sees them as the same person. Yeah, exactly. It's actually racist to do it that way, to see the Somali and the Haitian person as both being black or african well that's american. exactly it because yeah. if, if if you were to try and make an argument about like well the average height or it's like well i mean some people from you know are black and short and some people are black and tall right and so that's 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 the problem with race is that it, it really really is superficial granted i think uh, a conversation around well it's superficial unless 30 million black babies are, are genocided at planned parenthood mm-hmm. over 60 years well you, you got a question that's, that's about where race gets real real for me um, so, you know, my, my my point to my conservative Republican counterparts is to say, stop saying racism isn't real because you're giving these neoliberals an out. That's crazy because I thought it like, oh, yeah. I think of it as a class issue, but I think you're right that there was some serious racism going on by the people. Just look that, at the results. Well, wasn't that already proven? 30 million black babies at a Planned Parenthood. There'll be more babies to die at Planned Parenthood in the next two weeks than died in the Ukraine. Wow. Maybe not two weeks. Let's say a month, two months. When does... what? When does life begin? It's a tough one. I mean, at in, uh, at conception. That's what I'd say. Spiritually. I think. I think. If we talk, look, I'm against, I'm anti-abortion. But we, we've, we've, we've put the law into motion and there's a trajectory that makes it hard to undo without potential unintended consequences. So I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say that 12 weeks is I don't know what viable is to me as a Christian. I'm just going to say that maybe the government shouldn't have the choice, but culturally, spiritually, and philosophically, for me personally, to have a black mother, a black grandmother, black sisters, that are, we failed as a black community, one, but we failed as an American culture that women would choose abortion. Mm-hmm. So there's two separate things to go on there, I think. One of the two most important questions that were asked to uh Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, what is a woman? She said she couldn't provide a definition. Yeah. And that, to me, is absolutely absurd. She was also asked... Then uh, it's not a celebration that she's become a Supreme Court justice at that point. Right. But go ahead. The, the other <laughs> if question she, if about, she doesn't know what a woman is, then yeah, why exactly. are we celebrating that a black woman is yeah. the right. Supreme no, Court exactly, justice? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The other question was about when life begins. We need to have... We, we need to, to the best of our abilities, try and quantify uh, the world around us so that we can create effective policy and help protect people and grant them civil rights. If we can't define a phrase, we can't protect it. I agree. So in the instance of abortion and um, what is a woman, the reason, in my opinion, the left won't give you a definition, they'll say, I don't, I don't know when life begins, maybe after birth or something. They have, they have no clearly defined point yeah. is because that way they can't do moral wrong. Right. Because if you say life begins at conception, it's a moral wrong at any point. Moral ever. relativism. Yeah, that's, if, the, that's the linchpin of their whole ideology. Now they're saying after birth, and it's just like that way they can have late-term abortions. They say, what is a woman? Oh, I can't answer that because then you can have you can, you can can sort of massage various institutions in this country. I think it's, it's easily defined in terms of what they're doing. If a judge can't tell you what a woman is, but then in the same meet, in the same hearing with only a few minutes say, Roe v. Wade is important. It protects a woman's right to terminate it's her pregnancy. It's completely absurd. You can't use the word woman in that sentence with, when you can't even define what it is. See, but, but what Whenever you're, it empowers well, them. Yeah, what, what you're doing is 
you're debunking the logical fallacy, and you do it well. I watch you often. I'm a, I'm a secret. Oh, I appreciate fan. it, man. You're I'm, one of the best in the business at debunking the logical fallacies. I, I really enjoy it. But um, I'm just trying to understand. No, no, but there's no. Tell me the rules. There, there are no rules. I know. <laughs> Let's just say what it is. They, they don't care about the logic. Right. They don't care because the logic to 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 disavow yourself from the logos, which is a Christian idea, mm-hmm. right? The logos mm-hmm. to disavow yourself and detach yourself from the logos is to give yourself carte blanche. To apply morals and ethics however you see fit, when you see fit, advantageous in most cases for you to be cruel and predatory and, and immoral. And let's just draw a hard line. Inception. At inception. If you abort a child, you... Conception. C- conception, I'm sorry. Yeah. Conception. If you abort a child, you take the innocence of a child. Well, that's that, the, that's a grave sin. The debate would be: it is alive. I kind of agree that it's life when it's conceived, but is it when does it become human? Conception. Conception. Well, hey, you didn't let him answer. You answered for him. Oh, I I, I thought you were. I mean, the only it's reason the only reason I, I pause is because when when I think of human, I wouldn't accept the premise that the goal on the left is to even properly identify or or outline what human is like he's saying. And I think that in general, they have a very anti-human spirit. And this abortion thing is, is part and parcel of it. So I wouldn't even accept the premise that that they are in any way concerned with the idea of humans or humanity. They're let, not. Let me, let me ask you a question. They actually yeah. think human life in general it can be deduced down to suffering and uncertainty. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's kind of oh. like they're at war. I think we, you're saying mental war, like mental siege. People really feel like they're at war, so they're acting like it. And let, like, you want to talk about taking life? If you feel like you're at war, there are no rules. Let me ask you a question, Ian. Do you have a soul? Um, I, I believe it's not mine, but I believe there's an energy field around me that I would consider my soul or a soul that I is my soul. You know? Do you feel it? Sometimes you I do. Feel the heat. You, do you I can you, feel it moving through me. You feel that there is an, some kind of energy within you that, that is intrinsic yeah. to you or, I was thinking about this because I That's talk, God, buddy. It's, it but, is. but check this out, check this out. Magnetic vibration or something, man. It's a bit, it's a, it's a higher power. I've talked to people who've said, no. I say, do you have a soul? And they say, I don't believe in that. No, I don't. And I, and for, for a long time I thought they just don't believe or maybe they don't know the things I know. And then I thought about, it, I'm like, maybe people who genuinely don't feel that, they really don't have one. Whew. I'm, but I'm not saying as I'm not saying as a moral judgment I, of the person. No, I get what you're saying. I, I'm, I'm saying like that's an existential for, for, bomb this, this, right there. Right, they, <laughs> they do, but they're sensationally no. muted to it. Maybe, maybe, maybe their connection is muted or whatever. But I was just thinking about this because there's a psychological phenomenon of, of, of project, projection. We assume the people we talk with know the things we know. We assume they believe the things we do, and if they don't, if they say otherwise, they must be lying. If I say I know Trump is crooked and then someone else says, no, he's not, they must be lying because everyone knows. They're, they're, they, they project only what they can sense of themselves. Yeah. Thinking about that, I was like, I mean, I've had experiences that I can only describe as like um, visions and epiphanies and feelings. Metaphysical. Me- that, that, you know, are, are metaphysical, perhaps indescribable in some ways that give me the feeling of I have a soul and there is a God. I'm not theistic. I don't believe in scripture or Bibles or anything like that. I just feel like there's a greater power. And I've had experiences in my life. I've felt things. And then I thought about, well, if someone tells me they've never experienced and they don't feel it, maybe it's not that they're cut off or that either of us are wrong. It's that they genuinely don't have that. 
Maybe it's this. It's just that simple. And maybe, I should project maybe. what I so feel just on them. Not yeah. everybody has it. So then the idea is that it does exist, but that not everyone has it. Some people are NPCs. Oh. That was the Aiden Paladin mm. did a great video yeah. where she talks about how that's like a that's she, the Matrix she, motif. She, yeah, she talks Ooh, about a yeah. study about uh, some people just don't have an inner monologue. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Or 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 I'll give I'll give a spiritual um, uh, scenario. Maybe the aggregation of of sin across time. Um, has deadened the spiritual connection uh, at at mass, and that some individuals um, unexpectedly and and completely randomly are, are born without a spiritual con- connection. But th- my my response to that would be to say that individuals can be brought back as a Christian. Individuals can be brought back into faith and grace um, when introduced and, and practicing. That I there is a there is a physical way to practice to become reconnected yeah, to the clear the plaque off your I brain. A, yeah. I have a I have a crazy idea. Ian, you're gonna love it. Thanks. I have a crazy idea. I was just, you know, thinking about DMT and um, I'm absolutely fascinated by it. That's why I, I think, you know, Joe Rogan's fascinated. That's why people talk about it so often. Because you hear these stories from say um well, I, I just from anybody, prominent stories that they're entities, machine elves or beings. You take DMT, you yeah. meet them, you go, you, you blast off or you go beyond the veil as, it, as it's been described. And you meet beings who will tell you secrets, who will tell you things or make deals with you or whatever. Some are evil, some are not. I started thinking about that and I'm like, if DMT is naturally occurring in your brain, then are you really dreaming or are you getting a small glimpse of the window beyond the veil? Of course, DMT makes people force right through it the spirit molecule or whatever as they describe it what if some people don't produce enough to create a strong connection with whatever is beyond the veil that makes a lot of sense some people produce a lot more so they naturally have a deep connection to some kind of alex jones mm-hmm. and maybe, either either extreme can alex be pretty jones rough too. But, but what I, I mean like is this idea. I do. People who are uh, uh, deeply spiritual, who can feel that, that that feeling within them of a soul or a spirit, people who can visualize, who can just come up with with beautiful works of art, they've got some kind of connection to a vast network beyond them. Now, maybe this is just an idea. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying, considering we're we're exploring what DMT is, we're doing these research this research now, and there's interesting things about it. What if that was it? Some people just naturally produce more, and that connects them better. With, you know, something greater than us and some people don't, so they can't sense or feel it. There's been conspiracy theory that ca- fluoride calcifies the pineal gland. You guys ever hear that theory? It's been around for 20 yeah. years or something. I've read about it. I don't yeah. know for sure if it actually does, but sounds like internet mumbo jumbo might be. But if, well, here's one. That's where well, the fluoride, DMT is. Fluoride produced. is a neurotoxin. And, that, and the, the pineal glands where the DMT is produced in the brain. I think your muscles produce it too. Your stomach, even maybe. I think. Here's one I know. I know from being on uh, anti-anxiety medications such as fluoxetine, which is Prozac, which is one of the most prescribed, which is one of the most pre- prescribed drugs in the in the world in America. Let's say, um, but it, it's all of the SSRIs, the serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors, um, are are proven to bring testosterone down. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are. I mean, what the what we're putting into our body uh, can't be dismissed out of hand as the overall effect it's having on society. But but the question is, is how much of that has been intentionally uh, engineered? And that's like you were talking soul earlier. Now I don't know if that soul, if we're talking soul, if you're just talking about your ability to function normally. But I have, you know, we were talking earlier about substance abuse and absolutely SSRIs. Uh, whether you're talking Xanax, uh, Prozac, anything from those families, my, uh, mine is with opiates, any of those dulls your senses. And if we're talking about your ability to feel the world around you, 
uh, which, you know, whether you're talking your soul, uh, whatever that is, uh, your ability to understand and feel the world as it happens to you is deadened and is quieted by those chemicals. And then you have to talk about whether that was uh, intentionally done into the community, into our communities. If it was done, you know, yeah. certain people are going to have brain imbalances. I was on, uh, I was on Prozac when I was younger. Uh, eventually went off it and had took a lot of years to get off of everything entirely. Yeah. Um, and I was, I, st- I tell the story a lot. Like the first time when I realized that I could go outside without going through any withdrawal symptoms, I cried for like maybe the first time in. Wow. 10, 15 years, not because nothing sad had happened to me before that, but just because there was no actual reason or way for my body to process trauma uh, before that. So if you're talking about coming back to the world, that was the first time in a lot of years I'd felt like soul. Was I know a that real pain. Thing. It feels like when, when you have that level of mental, you know, mental uh, health struggles, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. it, it, when there are moments when you, when you, when you're with yourself and you really can identify that fog, yeah. That you're living That's, in a it fog. Is, it's fog. It's and like when you come out of it, it's like, whoa. Then you really realize, like, that was really a, a deep mm-hmm. fog I was in. I just think that there's a spiritual component to it, like, like, like you're laying out. And, you know, I, I, here, here's my thing. I think where we're going with science, where, where, where we're headed with science by and large at this global, you know, science technocratic, uh, behest is more leaning towards anti-human, uh, um, attitude um and and not and not not trying to use this science to really and genuinely figure out um the link between us and the spiritual world uh, I, I don't think that that's what this transhuman movement is about i think this transhuman movement is to phase people out altogether because they're nihilistic about the value of humanity i thought well, Gre- I, greg braden is a good uh, scientist that seems to be on the right path he has, has acknowledged a lot of like he's not into that stuff but he understands like the power of the heart and mm-hmm. the, the electromagnetic frequency that it produces and stuff he's a he's really they, fascinating uh many scientists have written about the next iteration of life beyond self-replicating proteins and multicellular organisms is self-replicating machines that can outlive all of us so uh, i read this one story about what what year one million would look like and it basically said that uh, all human life and all life has been wiped off of Earth, but there are self-replicating massive machines that float around the universe, taking millions or billions of years to travel to the next energy deposit, absorb it, and then replicate itself. Yeah, it's just – it's offensive. And that's it? As a Christian, it's offen- it offends me. Dude. I mean that conception of life or or just any any – any conception of a future where humanity no longer, that, that's not arrogance. That's to understand and appreciate the divine gift that God has, has, has given humanity, uh, he, being human. And any, any conception where we try and justify our role and, and the destruction of humanity is, is a heresy and, and a blasphemy against God. I, it offends me. It feels like we figured out how to hack our brains as humans. We, we, our brains expanded to a point where we figured out how to make them expand faster. So we, we accelerated the expansion, kind of like kicking a fusion generator on. And yeah. now we're just so exceedingly evolved relative to other animals on earth. It's, it's really, I think unique. I think there's one way to look at it. Look, uh, metaverse we've been harping on for the past couple of weeks. It's coming. Now, a lot of people say, you know, Tim, Metaverse is not popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg's is not popular. But when Neuralink can plug your brain in, I, I, I see it like there are many powerful individuals who wish they could just make you do something, but they can't. You have rights and you have physical control of your body. So they can come at you and say, do it or else. And you can say no. And then what do they do? Get, get some guys. Oh, man. How about 
we can't be gods, but if we plug everyone into the metaverse, now you can be. Now you can cut off their finances. Now you can eliminate them from the server. Just you're, you're outright banned. You're in an, if, if you, everyone willfully goes into the metaverse, you can be banned from it. And now you're not participating in the economy and in the information network in society in any way. Terms and conditions. Absolutely. And also in the metaverse, they can also be like, um, we're going to make your voice half as loud. We're going to make everyone the same height. Everyone will have to do as, told, as they're told. And if I'm the owner, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you can be sitting, you can be sitting in this metaverse public square and someone comes in and says, I need to tell everybody about this oil spill. And he goes, and you're gone. That's what he's been doing. Not maybe not necessarily him personally, but Facebook has been purging Big tech, yeah. political, political ideas. Yeah. Because we already exist in a digital space in terms of our political conversations, Big Tech has already shown us what they will do if given more power over. You know, it. I was thinking it's about the most dangerous thing. It's the biggest existential threat to humanity, in my opinion. Becoming a god in, in that universe. It's like, would you want to become a god in someone else's universe where they control your godhood? I don't know. But it's kind of like growing god. up in the United States. You're like, in the United States, you can, the American dream, you can grow up and become everything you ever wanted. You can become a billionaire, but you're still in their universe. If the U.S. government wants to shut you down and cut you out of Swift and drop a bomb on your house, they have the legal authority to do it. So you're, you're a god in, Elon Musk is a god in their universe right now. So what's how's it different? That's it's so they're creating a fractal of that with the metaverse. It's another authoritarian thing where you get the illusion of being God if you work hard enough and play by the rules. The more the more they expand, the more they push our lives into digital spaces. The more rights you will lose, and you better be ready to fight for those rights because they they're going to keep defaulting on it's a private business. You don't have to be in it, but right now. That's the biggest. That's one of the biggest scams. That's right. the that's that's uh, socialism. Uh, that that's socialism masquerading as being anti-corporate, but at the global scale, socialism actually becomes the highest level of corporation, and that that's that's what the progressive left is really trying to do in in um, in their political strategy, is say you know the Bernie Sanders even the Bernie Sanders crowd and, and you know my, my Steve who I love you know dearly he 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 gives Bernie his credit for for you know some of his positions, but I I see Bernie's position in AOC and these people is not being anti-corporate. I see that they're in on the, the game to merge government and state. Uh, 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 I mean, state and corporation at the global level and, and thus usher in the serfdom, which, which I know Steve has talked to and agrees with too. Um, but, but them saying they're anti-corporate is just a, a, a you know, a, a problem with the premise that, that socialism, uh, you know, that, the, the problem with the premise is that the state already isn't the highest form of government. Many people don't see, I mean, the highest form of corporation. Many people don't see the state as a corporation. And this, it's an organ. I don't care if you call it a corporation, a government or whatever, organizations. Yeah. Hierarchical organizations that can, that have control, that have power, that can exert that power. They want to make us serfs and slaves. And why would we believe that, that, uh, megalomaniacs wouldn't have the ambition to domineer, uh, you know, lesser, lesser individuals? I mean, they, that's just, that just adds up one, two, three. Yeah. These, government's these a big type tech of companies, corporation, but these, the, these the big capital C is a different type of, that's an official these corporation. These big tech companies are going to offer you your wildest dreams to plug your brain into their networks. They've already done it. We're getting close. You can go online. You can you can make your profile picture whatever you want to be. That's giving a lot of people some satisfaction. They you know catfishing for instance is ridiculous. Some people just want to do it. Scary. But they're going to wow. come with the Neuralink and the Metaverse, and they're going to say you can be a pirate captain. 
Just install this chip and you will be the pirate captain. You'll still have to have a job and everything, but play these games. You go in, they own you. Ready player one. Ready player one. It's it's weird. What's strange to me is how many people, and I guess, I mean, it's it's not shocking to me because I I was the guy 10 years ago saying the mental health epidemic is here and it's going to get worse. And people were like, mainstream liberal, you know, writers and journalists were going, what do you mean everybody's suffering from mental illness? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I mean? Huh. I mean, the evidence is clear, but um, I, I I see um, this whole ready player one scenario as being more dangerous than people think on a practical level very soon because um, the Neuralink situation, for example, none, nobody, if you're not going to own anything but be happy, that means you're certainly not going to own your Neuralink. You're going to be leasing it. That's right. And if you're leasing it, that means they own it. That means now they own a piece of your brain. I think what will have to happen to make Neuralink a thing is they'll need to be able to wirelessly connect you. So assuming it's possible, I don't know if it is. Right now what they're doing with Neuralink is they have these very thin um, you know, metal, uh, I guess you'd call them cables, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, threads maybe. Threads so. that lightly tap into the brain and then track data. And they've, they've hooked them up to, I think, pigs to track their mm-hmm. vitals and stuff yeah, they, like that. They cut up in like a, cir- a quarter-sized circle and then they sew these threads into like just under the top layer of the brain. That was about a year ago. That's where the tech was at. So it looks like what we have right now is, is, is basic read-only. If we're getting to the point where you can read and write into a brain, allowing you to have experiences, that means there's going to have to be a calibration for your brain because everyone's brain is different. We don't have one human code. It's everyone's brain has different amounts of you know chemicals in it or right. whatever. But getting to that point, I, I think implants aren't going to work. It's going to have to be something they can you can you can wear on your head that it wirelessly projects things into your mind, which I'm not sure is possible. But the idea that people are going to go and get fitted with, an, with you know, surgery to have something I don't see as being realistic. A lot of people aren't going to want that right. surgery unless uh, unless they create an economic situation where in, it, it, to not do it would be so uh, like a cell phone would, would make you so disadvantaged that you feel left out of society. Many people will do many things to feel a sense of belonging to the society around them. Well, can that's you, that's getting your testicles or penis cut off because you think you feel like a woman. Is that is there any job you can work right now if you don't have a cell phone? I'm sure there. I'm sure it's not absolute. There are some, but almost some. Just like Every factory thing. jobs and stuff. But they're going to be like post COVID is getting getting no, short. No, no. They're, they're going to be like I tried calling you. Where were you? You weren't answering your phone, yeah, and tough. you're like, I don't have a cell phone. They're going to be like, What? Why? You're not allowed to not be available all the time. Now you have right. to always be able to answer yeah. your phone. Otherwise, they're going to say, Well, why don't you have one? Makes I, no sense. I, I'll tell you this though. Um, if we get to the point where they can do read write into your brain, but you'll need a surgical implant. If they go, if I'll tell you this. If they went right now and said, Neuralink is available, it's a surgical implant, it costs $2,000, lasts you for life, and you can physically experience X-Men, Skyrim, Elden Ring, whatever, oh, you're going to have millions of, of young men outright being like, save me from this. I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. This sucks. I don't know about young women. Because they're, they're, you know, what we see with Instagram, they're, they're much more motivated by, you know, social behaviors. Men would be like, just get me away from it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. A lot of gameplay footage on YouTube, and one of the guys that I watch in particular is like, sign me up, number one. I'm first in line. Get me in there because he's games for a living. That's right. The, The whole problem with this is that the we've 
we've created a culture where people don't see any value in suffering or hard work or, yep. or, That's right. you know, and as an athlete, it, it just offends me. I'm just, I just can't get beyond it. It's offensive. I'm like, guys, I hear you, tr- bro. The, you, you gotta fall. You, you have to love the process of working hard, uh, uh, putting some sweat and some time and some energy and commitment into something and seeing the result. That's beautiful. I think like along with what you were saying, Brett, that the love, the joy that yeah. is lost when you're medicated. Yeah. Like I, I was just, I just for the first time saw this article from The Guardian, microplastics found in human blood for first time. This is from like four days ago. Hmm. He was talking about like drug, being drugged by, by our own refuse. I don't know if you consider that a drug at this point, but if it's in your blood and it's not a food, then. But also it's the, it's the narrative that it's not worth it anymore. There's a lot of that going on that no matter how hard you work, you know, your parents bought a house when they were 26 and they, they each worked a part-time job and paid for college. And the idea is now that no matter how hard you work, the system is rigged against you and hard work is actually seen as a negative because it's almost like you're a sucker. You're buying into the system. I, I think they want you to feel that way. That's what I'm saying. I, I, like they yeah. want you that that's a narrative that they've spun very, very well. Corporations want you dependent, so you buy their products. Government mm-hmm. wants you dependent, so you give them their, their votes. The last thing they want is for someone to be like, I don't need anything from you. I can go I I think what one of the things that greatly benefits me throughout life is that I don't really have anything to lose. Now, granted, if I have a family, that's where they get people. You know, they go after your family, your kids, your wife, or otherwise. But for me, it's like, yo, I've I've experienced hardship to the point where it doesn't scare me. Yeah. That you know, so without anything left to lose, you you can you have the opportunity to to, you have you have the opportunity to explore and then eventually stumble upon better opportunities, take bigger risks, and go for these things. They want you to feel like if you lose your job, you're screwed, you're done, your life is over. That's not true. Well, and that that that's the motif. Again, from a spiritual standpoint, that's the motif of heaven collapsing for people. When heaven collapses for you, the idea of a heaven, of a paradise, of something to look forward to, all you have left is the here and now, which makes all your action and your your entire uh, that creates anxiety and despair because well, the here and now is fleeting, and we all know it. We grow up knowing it. We were we were born with the intuition that the here and now is going to be short. And potentially cruel and unfair. And yeah, that would make somebody anxious and d- depressed. And then we get into dopamine hits and instant gratification and the fact that people don't live for farther out. They're living just f- from one hit to the other, whether it's social media, whether it's drugs. But uh, they don't see it. They don't see it as a, 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 you know, a lot of people don't see it as a sort of, if, if you, if you created, put up on the screen somebody who was just addicted to crack, right? And they just couldn't help. To, to, to have to do crack and just how that desperation will look on, on a TV screen. People who are using social media and this tech this way don't see themselves in that regard at all. Nope. I read this article in a skateboard magazine as a kid. I, I could be misremembering, but it was called What Now? And, uh, Brett will totally get this because you skate. Um, well, you blade, but this was a skateboarding magazine, but same thing in this regard. It said, you're a skateboarder and you've decided to do some kind of trick down a set of stairs and you fight for it. And you fail and you try again and you fail and you fail and you fail. And every time you fail, you're getting frustrated. You're getting tired. Maybe you leave. Maybe maybe you come back. But sooner or later, you land that trick. Mm. And for a few seconds, it feels really, really good. It's the greatest feeling in the world. But then a few seconds later, it's gone and you think, what now? Mm. It, there, there's, you, you chase after this thing that you can never actually hold on to. Mm. And I think, you know, uh, one of the things that's greatly benefited me in life is skateboarding. Because I've always known that. I've always known there is no such thing as more. There's just doing. 
That's why I like making movies over making theater. I used to do a lot of theater, and the, it was lost. After the show was done, there was no record of it, and I forgot how I felt when I was doing it. But, man, when you record it on a, on a camera, it's there forever. Or but it's least the feeling. The, it's the feeling the in the moment because we film all the tricks that we do. Yeah, but it's, right. uh, when you're done, you kind of uh, – What it now? Is, yeah, what like now? I've, already, I've done that. You don't get the same dopamine hit from doing the same thing as you did the first time you finally got it. We, uh, I mean, we would turn it into profiles where, like, we, uh, I would plan out sections like 20, 30 tricks out at different spots that I knew all of them. So you have a <laughs> list of stuff to go down to, and then you get into editing. What song are you going to use? I would plan stuff out. I would timeline it so I knew this trick will be in slow motion here because this part of the song here. Uh, and that is part of a longer, more artistic process. But that's a beautiful thing that does work in a longer term sense than something that's more immediate. So it takes an immediate activity but makes it a much longer process. That's, so uh, I bring this up because think about this. If uh, if you're good at your at your craft and skateboarding is the easiest thing for me to use, uh, you learn how to kickflip. It's a basic trick. You, you, you smack the board down, jump in the air, the board flips under your feet, you land it. You feel really, really good. You finally did it. But eventually, it's second nature. You can just do it. Yeah, you, you, you feel good sometimes, you know, landing a really great kickflip. I've been doing kickflips for two and a half decades. It does not feel the exact same. I remember the first heel flip I ever landed. It was just, it was so, it, it, I, I fought for it. And after a couple of weeks, I was getting them perfect. And I'm like, this is amazing. You know, I earned this. And every new trick I learned was a struggle and a battle. And I had to figure it out. And it's still, still true to this day when I skate or blade. But imagine you're in the metaverse. That's gone. Yep. You will just literally click and you've got it. Nothing tactile about it. Imagine how insane you'll go chasing after a dragon when you're when you're one thousand times faster at reaching these milestones than what? you would have been. Your brain's gonna fry. Exactly. You're exactly. gonna you're gonna go into people are gonna go insane. Yep. So clinically in like schizophrenic psychosis I, insane. I, I think you will be surprised. That's the mental health crisis I had the intuition you're, toward 10 years ago. They're on antidepressants <laughs> I'm, I'm when they go this. in. I mean, imagine how you're gonna struggle people, that could be. When, when people live in the metaverse, you know, they'll still have to come out. Eventually, in, in a couple decades, there'll be a dude wearing, wearing a corn costume, juggling corn <laughs> as he rides a corn unicycle. And you're like, <laughs> what is this? And in his personal metaverse, he has constantly chased after something that's evolved into some weird corn reality huh. and, and it seems ridiculous because you're like how could someone go from being a regular person to being you know this like corn juggling corn suit guy <laughs> yeah. because in the metaverse there the, the the distance between dopamine hits is microscopic compared to the real world and it can you can reach infinite levels of cr pushing your brain into crazy ass uh, places it'll it'll disconnect you from reality really fast i mean i already but they believe i think that i think a lot of these technocrats that sit above our society right now really believe that if they push the human first of all they have a hyperinflated sense of their own cognitive ability i believe and they believe that if they push the the human uh mind to that point that there's some evolution on the other side that's going to be you know a paradise of, yeah. of sorts um and i it, it's just naive it's naive it's reckless you know it's it's it, at least at minimum it's naive and reckless it could be malicious too and it's like you will end up losing it because like I've done like you talk mental health. I've done I had a whole series of videos where I would do uh, skating segments one minute a day of different tricks. And I would do a voiceover segment where I would talk about what I was going through either to film those tricks or what I was going through that day. And one of the segments that would continually reoccur is days where I got stuck on my phone. And I get doom scrolling through whether it's Twitter <laughs> or, or TikTok or Facebook or Instagram. Mm -hmm. Thank God most of those are gone. All I have is Instagram now. Like, and I would say, I was like, I have to get out of the house. 
I have to go into the physical world and go mm-hmm. do something that uh, requires Touch tactile grass. function. Yeah, and and then I would be like, I would feel ten thousand times better in a way that no drug could have ever done, all just by going outside and feeling my physical, you know, being in the world. I just want to let everybody know that um, almost every day I go out and tear up some grass with my hand. And then feed it to the chickens. Mm. So it's like people tweet at me like, touch grass, Tim. It's like, yo, I, I have chickens. You, you can hear me yelling on our Chicken City stream. I'm like, chickens. But it's and back I'm, to that physical world. Yep. You're keeping yourself anchored in that physical world. I mean, I just like yelling at chickens. I think, yeah. I think the trees Not like me yelling, but just like, you know, like getting their attention and yeah. waving at them or something. <laughs> uh, Andrew Huberman was saying every human should look outside for 15 minutes a day um, into the into the horizon. It just something that fixes the. He's a neuroscientist, and he says it's really the, th- really the things that solve my anxiety. I'm just going to say, uh, as a prescription to people who are dealing with that radical anxiety and depression, the things that helped me resolve my anxiety um, were truth and gratitude. Yeah, I think I think we're first. There's an attack on truth, universal truth, the logos, like I said, but also gratitude solves a lot of these things, right? Well, like I. I my concept of getting to the the round of 32 and playing the uh, Anthony Davis in Kentucky and losing but playing a good game and they go on to win and I could think back and go well uh, what do I need to but there's a there's a there's a moment in there in that whole you know paradigm of thought where you could go man I'm grateful for the opportunity to even have done that yeah. I played in front of 16,000 people a million people on television I played well my team I'm grateful first, gratitude first, and then the pursuit of, of other things is a good model. It's the same, like I said, like before I came to work here, I was uh, working at a small apartment complex. I didn't, uh, I couldn't drive, didn't have any way of getting around. I just skated every day and worked. And just being sober, just knowing that uh, what I, I I should surely be dead yep. by now, mm-hmm. that there's no reason for me to be here. If uh, you know, for mo- 99% of people had done the things I had done, wouldn't have made it out alive. I got lucky, and I was blessed to do that, and have just infinite gratitude for the fact that I was walking and alive and healthy. And a lot of people can't seem to manage to find that when they're, you know, you have to look not just where you're going, but where you came from. And if where you came from was something so debilitatingly awful that you need to look at where you are now. You you choose to be happy. Some people people don't. I'm not saying, you know, depression and mental illness don't exist. Definitely not. I'm saying for a lot of people, I hear these stories and they just talk about how their life's so miserable. And I'm just like, when you wake up, you really, it's within you to be grateful and happy and to look for, the, you know, look for the good or look for the bad. And more particularly, it's up to you to choose what food you put in your stomach because that's going to drastically alter your state that's of mind. That's true, too. That's one of the first yeah. things I always Let say. Me, I just want to point out, man, yeah. like when we order a bunch of pizza and then I just eat several slices. You feel like shit? Feel yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I eat like... Simple enough, huh? You know, what what you, food do you put in your body? It, and it really, really matters. You know, I guess it doesn't matter when you're younger. You don't care, but... Today we had I had lettuce wraps. I think it does matter, and I feel fantastic. I bet if a lot of young people had really healthy diets, they wouldn't be as crazy. Check this out: we we had we did ground beef, peppers, onions, cheese, and when I was walking out to throw grass at the chickens, we have wild chives growing because they just they they sprout up all over the place. Just grabbed a whole bunch of them, rinsed them off. What you have? Where's this at? You didn't offer me any. (laughs) (laughs) It was before you got here. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's some leftover. I know. We're gonna go find it. There might be. Yeah, you want? I definitely do. The way you made it sound. It's good. Yeah. You just, you just, you just take some of the mixture, you put it on some lettuce, and then we have. We, I've ordered some truffle mayo. It's you know, it's so good. Always and, good. Uh, I feel I feel fantastic. We got to go to super chats though. It is time. If you haven't already, smash that like button. Support the show. Head over to timcast.com to become a member if you want to support us directly. 
and uh, share the show whenever you can. It's it's fan- it really really does help. Let's uh, let's grab some of these here super chats. What do we got here? Nobody special says Tim. What did you think of the Batman deleted Joker scene? I thought, wow, that movie would have been w- could have actually been worse. Yikes. Do you guys see that? Uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the scene. The scene is beautifully shot. Absolutely fantastic. Sure, shot beautifully. Uh, I don't really like Barry Cogan as Joker. I don't. I think they should leave the Joker off the, off the, off the ballot for at least uh, five movies. They don't they, need. They don't need to keep going back to that character. They have no idea no. what they're doing with these movies. No. And I'm like, please, like they're just beating Batman to death. And I'm like, stop, just, just stop. There's so much good writing in the Batman comics. And they just keep just pulverizing. It's like... Yeah, Bane did such a good job. They just can't stop. And they keep overusing Batman anyways. I think he's overused. Totally. Uh, Superman, too. 63% of DC Comics are all, you know, almost DC, like, survives on Bat Family sales, so... Iron Man, too, man. (laughs) Can I I just throw in that I really would appreciate if they redid the Green Lantern and made a decent movie out of the Yeah, Yeah. John Stewart, Green Lantern. That that original Ryan Reynolds. And I like Ryan Reynolds, but that Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie was... (laughs) It was... He doesn't like that movie absurd. either. He doesn't know like, he no. does. I bet he does it. No. That well, was completely absurd. Right, have you seen uh, The Adam Project? No. It's uh, on Netflix. I thought it was good. I'm not, I, I don't think it was Lord of the Rings or anything. You know, I give it a C plus, B minus. We reviewed it. I loved it. I was like, to me, it's one of those things where I just, movies today are so, I'm so hyper focused on not, on hating the agenda that gets driven into most of these films that yeah. when I just get like a general family film with nothing offensive label as far as like agenda being just shoved into it, I'm like, that was fantastic. So like 10 years ago, it'd have been like a B minus or a C plus. I'm like, A minus. Yeah, that was fantastic. Uh, yeah. We have, this is a really good super chat actually. Rilo says, um, if Katanji uh, Brown Jackson can't define woman, how can she define the 19th Amendment? The reason why that's a really good question is the 19th Amendment um, affirms a woman's right to vote. But if a trans woman is a woman, Boom. Then women already have the right to vote. Yeah. Boom. How, they it. I mean, get rid of it. would you lose the right to vote if you transitioned? You wouldn't. I this think that really we need to make trans woman a word and trans man a, trans men a word, I guess, because it's they're just different things than man and woman. Trans man, trans woman, they're just different things. They're different different definitions. Let's go with it. Move on. So it says, okay, it says the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. That's very interesting. That means uh, so the, the 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 amendment doesn't actually say man or woman. Which would mean that, based on today's logic, women always had the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Which always. means that the entire suffrage movement, where the neoliberal women went to black women and said, hey, the black man got the right to vote before you did. Let's go after him. Yeah. That goes out the window. The suffrage movement is they don't talk is, about that. takes they, a hit yeah, right they, don't, they, they don't want you to know about that. Oh, that the, that the white woman went, that black man got the right to vote that, before the, I did. That racism played a big role in yeah. the suffrage movement. Yeah. I mean, look, I think women should have the right to vote. I Absolutely. Think everybody yeah. should, but yeah. definitely. And Planned Parenthood, racism played a huge role in the formation of Planned Parenthood. You know what, man? It's funny that they say the truth is right wing. Or I'm sorry. Well, they're basically they're effectively saying it. They'll call you a liar. Yeah. They'll say you're right wing. But if you tell the truth, they'll call you right wing. They'll call, call you conservative, even if you, even if you're not. Yeah, I don't know. Welcome I, to the modern era. I, I don't even know where this the, the political political spectrum's all over the place now. You know that. I mean, there's plenty of people who are traditionally liberal who have just been pushed over to the right wing by by default by a, a far left manic. Or the right media. wing has been pulled yeah. to encompass people who are liberal. Yeah, I would have been considered a disaffected liberal who became more libertarian, at least more like uh, you know, minimize the state. 
the you know just by being pulled this way through the just how far left the rest of the agenda is that uh, I've just been moved that way and then since then have grown and learned and changed my positions in certain areas but definitely would have never been considered right wing or Republican or conservative just not I'm, they're calling me the alt right now. Yeah. <laughs> alt right, it's so I'm alt right. No, yeah. no, but uh, uh, you know, my favorite is uh, only white people can be racist, but mm. Candace Owens is a white supremacist. Yes, <laughs> it's just whatever. I love man. that one. That's All great. right, Glyph Zero says here's to some conditioner for Ian. Should cover inflation on it for a week. Huh. Thank you. <laughs> I use uh, conditioner that is for infants. By the way, oh, I treat baby, my hair nice. Baby shampoo. Yeah. Oh. All right, David. What does it say? David C. Kronk Sr. I find it interesting that the United States has placed economic sanctions on Russia during this invasion that we never placed on Hitler during World War II. We are forcing our own economic demise. I'd like to point out that Joe Biden said we were going to disseminate food shortages. Yeah. And then he also said the food shortages are going to be the result of sanctions. And he's the one who pushed these sanctions. So it's kind of like maybe he was telling the truth about disseminating food shortages. Yep. Yeah, maybe. It's American policy that's leading to it. All right. Mickey Stone says, U.S. generals are negotiating with Chinese officials trading Taiwan for Russia in Australia right now. I have a reliable friend in the ADF. That is a bold claim. Maybe we'll see something about that. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I am skeptical on those Internet claims without evidence. That would be crazy, though. Considering that Joe Biden's talking about ramping up production, chip production in the U.S., the U.S. seems to be ready to lose Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Long overdue. Rain. One of the things he's getting right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In theory. Absolutely. Yeah. Good credit. We're credit to do. If, you know, yeah. Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says all roads seem to lead to white liberal women. Mm, yep. It's suburban white women who yep. voted for Joe Biden. You know, they, they were the big swing. There was a sign in my neighborhood in, when I was still living in, in West St. Paul that said, uh, vote for Kamala Harris, dot, 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 and Joe Biden. Huh. Interesting. So they weren't even voting for him then. They were voting for her for vice president. And then I guess we'll take Joe as president yes. just because. Howard says, in a big super chat, thanks very much, respect your getting closer guy a good job. Huh. Is that reference to sure. anybody? No? Nothing? Closer guy a good job? Getting no. a- I'm assuming he means me. I don't know. I, I, assume you closer me. Guy. I, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know anything about that. Let's, let's find out. So NSX curious. says, this man talks like a stoic paladin. I oh. can't vote, Australian, but you have my prayers. Very cool. Thank you. Are you familiar with the paladin? No, from I'm Dungeons not. and Dragons, a uh, warrior of yeah. God. Yeah, he okay. uses divine energy yeah. to protect <laughs> his allies. Thank, thank you, I appreciate that. Thank you. You, you have an aura of healing. It's, it's good. I've never been called that. I'm usually called pretty radical. Maybe you guys calm me down. I appreciate you guys <laughs> allowed me to be comfortable to have a, yeah. a nice, calm conversation. I get theatrical. All right, Dragon Lady says, "Tim, I live in Toledo area where the Floyd mural was. It was not partly cloudy that day. Rained off and on all day. Massive storm rolled in at the time of the lightning strike." Sky was dark, pouring rain, high winds, much lightning. I watched it. Fantastic storm. Huh. Interesting. I'm still wondering how the roof wasn't damaged yeah. and only George Floyd was, was blown off the side of the building. Crazy. God's wrath. I'm going yeah, to go with metal in the paint. That's my you, you know, final answer. The, the whole wall was painted. Let me, Just his, whatever they used on his face was like a, a special a, a paint lead just for or him. something. Yeah, I want to say something real quick about George Floyd. Okay. This guy doesn't to say that the state has gone too far, that we always have to be mindful of the authority and scope of governance as citizens is not the same to enshrine him as a hero. Although I know that some people may think he's a hero Um, and looking at the, the situation where he was involved in the home invasion and put the gun to a pregnant woman's stomach, which I, I, I don't know if that's I a thought true that was story. Divined. 
Was it? Is I debunked? thought that was debunked. That I, uh, I could I could be wrong on that. So we would have to maybe it was. I thought that the, at least the part about him holding the gun to a pregnant woman's belly. I heard that that was debunked. I'm just saying that what I want people on both sides to do is separate. Am I a Roman citizen? Do you have the right to bind and beat a Roman citizen who has not been convicted of a crime? And George Floyd, regardless of who he was in his life, has a right to have a trial. Um, and, and he had a family. He has a humanity regardless of what he had done. So Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, this is why I'm actually a fan of bail reform. I think there's problems with it. You see what happens in New York when repeat offenders just keep getting let go and crimes keep happening. So there's got to be a way to stop that for sure. But I don't like the idea that you could be poor. Get accused of a crime, let alone you know not even proven have done anything wrong, and they can say we can lock you up for an extended period of time. That means you're going to lose your job. You'll probably get evicted. People will wonder where you went. It'll be hard to communicate. I'm like, no, no, no. I actually I think about Kyle Rittenhouse, for example. What he spent almost three months in jail, yeah. only only for the state to finally come out and tyranny. What yeah. right? What every the, there's video evidence. It was clear cut that should have he should have been in and out of court. The cops should have looked at that. And the DA should have been like, mm. but instead, because of politics, they were like, let's let's lock him up for a while. DA's in on it. Kyle Rittenhouse, if he was going to be locked up by the state, should have been given a let's just say four star hotel, not, not five star. <laughs> but you should you should have a nice accommodation because you're not convicted of any crime. If the state wants to hold you, you should be held in complete median middle class standards. Instead, they put you in jail with everybody else. You lose your job. Now you got to have internet. You should, you should be allowed to use the phone at your own discretion. Internet access. You've done no wrong. Why can't you communicate at least? If they've not, I understand saying, look, we, we have reason to believe you committed a crime, so we're going to be holding you. But because you haven't, because we don't want you to commit another crime or hurt somebody, but there's no reason you can't talk to your family or get access to the internet, right? right. No, no, I, I, I'm not a fan of locking people up uh, because what happens is a lot of cops use the process as the punishment. They say, I know that I can get you two days in jail if I arrest you right now for any reason I make up or say. Yeah. So in New York, you have cops, uh, they, they've, they've, they often do this. They'll, they'll arrest someone because it's like it's easier just to, to deal with arresting a protester or otherwise. Center of the station, let them stew over the weekend. They'll get out. Charge will be dropped. But it took care of the problem in the short term. I think that's terrible. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't. The state should not be allowed to do this. But hey, look, New York is run by... Democrats who appoint Democrat cops who do these things to themselves, and I don't live there anymore for that reason. And it's it's not just the Democrat that that's a that's a bipartisan problem. I think Definitely. the 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 uh, prison system and the the criminal justice system, but the prison system primarily is the lowest rung of the military industrial complex. Law enforcement and police are the second lowest rung, and it goes up to geopolitical uh, warfare and conflict after that. And when we were downstairs talking, we the first thing I mentioned is like, and the Minneapolis Police Department has always been known as being extremely corrupt, and we knew that from the beginning that that was always a problem. It's, there's a cultural consensus yeah. for people who live in the, the in Minnesota yeah. about the police department there. Yep, yeah. absolutely. All right, Jay says, I agree with Ian. Despair is strong right now. While I don't have a path, I am still walking. Hope is never dead. Mm-hmm. Keep walking. Um, I think fix, fixing your diet up is a big key of of of, of this path. You'll be okay. I like this comment. Mike S. says, It is a travesty that this man is not a leader in this world. We need to replace the spineless cowards in the establishment with people like this. Thank you, sir, for running and good luck. Thank you, bro. I would just like to say, he is a leader in this world. You don't got to be in politics to be a leader. But, you know, having political power would be great if you had good leaders. You know yeah, what I mean? th- th- there's, been, there's been a dereliction of duty from people who are capable, let's say, uh, of being transformative leaders in the political 
in the political um, realm. Um, and, and look, you know, I'm still 30 years old. I'm in the middle of a pro mixed martial arts career. My debut was on uh, December 10th. I lost oh, a three round decision. Yeah. Wow. yeah, I fought on LFA on the fight nice. pass. Nice. So I've, I've transitioned to pro mixed martial arts and, and I can, t- I plan to continue to keep fighting, but, um, none of, none of our personal pursuits right now in this time of crisis should, should, um, have us abnegate our duty to, to society. And that, that is the crooks, I believe, of the, the fruit of an idea like nationalism puts constraints on the individual's ambitions and it anchors us in, in charity in a Christian way and says the order of charity is local. Do you have a podcast right now? <laughs> no, I don't. That would be good. <laughs> so, Thank you. So when you're talking about the order of charity being yeah. local, meaning that you want people to help out within their own community and that's more important than people who start to rely on the state because they don't, they feel like they're not connected to a community. No, to help them. Yes, that too. But I mean that the order of charity and, and Jude- Greco Judeo Christian values is my fir- myself first, yeah. then my family, and then my immediate community. What the neoliberal globalist movement is trying to reorder the charity to say, send money for mosquito nets in Africa for malaria. And it's just so disconnected. Um, again, it, 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 it makes it so people aren't anchored in the, in the, in the reality and facts and truth in the, in, in their immediate life. It's like those It's peop- a trick. It's a, it's a three card Monty. It's like those people who like, I was like, I wish I could pay more taxes. Like, I would pay more. I, I don't mind paying taxes at the pump if it means that we help the Ukraine. Yeah, that's it's it's, abs- it's just it, it's a, it's actually f- offensive. And you can me. pay more taxes. You, I don't think the IRS can stop you from paying more, yeah, right? More. It's like the white woman from the GQ. Uh, this is the pro- the perfect motif of the white the the crisis in white liberal women is the woman who interviewed Jordan Peterson from the GQ magazine. Yeah. Kathy Newman. Yeah. And he, and he, that interview is awful. And he backs her into a corner and she tells us exactly what's wrong with the liberal ideology. He says, if you're so privileged and there's so many people who could use, who could benefit from what you have, why don't you give up your job? And she just sits back and goes, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That's Helen Lewis is her name. All right. Randy Devell says, get him on Joe Rogan. Great podcast. We need more, yeah, yeah. more men like this, Republicans and Democrats. Mm. Keep doing what you're doing. Proud Timcast member. Okay. Uh, and, and uh, yes, and also Lily Tang Williams. But, yes. uh, that's just, oh, that only happens if Joe knows who they are. Cause I certainly don't hit him up and be like, you know. Alex, Alex Jones said the same thing when I was on his, on his podcast. And, and shout out to Joe Rogan. I think what he's done is, is incredible. He stood in the breach too. And, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I saw you first on, on, on Rogan. Uh, and then I, and then I started watching your stuff. So yeah, shout out to Joe Rogan. He's a good dude, man. That's uh, my eternally yes, grateful sir. to Joe. That's no, my N word. I don't want to get you guys <laughs> yeah. episode brought <laughs> down, but that I hot. love that Adesanya, uh, sound bite. That's my N word. I love that. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Chris does stuff says, Tim, have you had an out of body experience? No. Have you, Ian? No, I've had lucid dreams where I oh, fe- yeah. where I was like flying around. I say I'm flying, and then all of a sudden I'm flying and stuff like that. Almost, I would I would say there came a point in my life where all, basically every single dream I have is lucid. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What about you guys? Have you had out of body experiences? My first panic attack. My first panic attack came from smoking marijuana, mm. um, and I just had it was a massive panic attack, and I, I just was watching myself walk around. I thought I was going to die and, you know, somehow I was able to call my, my grandfather came. I didn't want to call my mom because where I'm from, you, your mom's beating you for sure. Grandpa was a little bit more amenable. So I called him, but I don't even remember how I was able to manage that because I was so disordered. Um, and I was like watching myself walk around. So yeah, anxiety attacks often feel like that. Yeah. So for, for lucid dreaming, just to clarify, uh, there's techniques you can do. 
So there's something, I think it's called like walking into a dream or something like that. It's where you basically just use your imagination as you start to fall asleep and then basically trigger what the dream is or something like that. And there's also other things you, you're supposed to do. You keep, keep a dream journal. You wear something consistently uh, on your wrist or whatever that you check. That way, when you're in a dream, it doesn't behave a certain way. You instantly get snapped out of, of you, you instantly become lucid. There's a bunch of things that I've done just like a long time ago that became second nature. And now it's like I'll fall asleep and then it, all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, I'm dreaming. I was having a lucid dream and I knew I was awake, but I was asleep dreaming on a pirate ship and I, I started to breathe out too much and the dream started to shake like inception, like the entire <laughs> reality started to rip apart. I was like, oh, it's the, it's an oxygenation issue or like a carbon dioxide issue. There's something about the breathing. Yeah. We need, a, we need a master, a dream master in here. All right. Dawn's Herald says, in regard to the temptation of Neuralink, quote, the devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and pointy horns. He comes as everything you've ever wished for. That's what I thought. Boom. Yeah, dude. Life, you need, in the Matrix, I said this, humans need struggle. How boring is it if you just accomplished everything instantly overnight? You'd not be happy. Yep. You wouldn't feel, you'd feel nothing. So, and so the rightful criticism of our system and establishment isn't that they've set up a society where people have to struggle in order to find meaning. It's that they've been predatory and corrupt and dishonest in how they've set the playing field and presented it as one that's fair and honest when really it's overtly corrupt. So that's my take on it. All right. Darius Harvey just says, good show. Thanks for the super chat. Let's see. Um, Carpe Diem, DM, huh, says, hats off to Lauren Southern for getting a ban on Twitch by replaying a debate she had with Destiny. Wait, really? That happened? Destiny's banned. Wow. Oh. Life, I think. Wow. Oh, my gosh. No, no. Twitch bans are, like, temporary. Everyone's always like, he got banned, he got banned. solidly banned, I think. He got banned before of the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, and then they let him back on. There was a, a good super chat I wanted to read. Oh, here we go. Florida man says, Tim said he doesn't fear losing everything, but you have created so many meaningful connections that even if you lost everything, you would have a social safety net. I think that means you've made it. I can certainly understand and respect that, but I would just point out the reason why I'm never really scared of losing everything is because I have witnessed people make $200 a day sleeping, literally going down on Chicago and going to sleep. And then people just, I remember, uh, uh, yeah, just the guy, I knew this guy woke up in a Folgers can full of cash. And he was like, yeah, I make about $200 a day. And then he bought heroin with it. It was messed up. But $200 that, a day. And, and, Seven and, and, days a week. That, wow. Well, I don't think he sleeps, but he, he would just sleep. It's the craziest thing. So he would do whatever his thing was. Then, in the, then he would go to bed at like 9 in the morning on the corner of somewhere in downtown Chicago. And then he'd wake up after a few hours with a can just full of money. That's almost $5,200 a month. That's a lot That's of a lot money. money. Well, I don't know if he's doing it seven days a week, but yeah, he said, so when I saw him, he had a, he had 184 something in a Folgers can, just full of change and bills. And he brought it into, he walked into the bank and he poured it into their sorting machine and then he deposited it. And he was like, yeah. And then I was like, man, you're making a lot of money. He goes, yeah, but I do a lot of heroin. So like, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, dude, that sucks. Yep. And that's why he's sleeping outside because it's, but I was like, have you thought about getting clean and getting a job? And he's like, I make too much money. So my, my point with that is I have seen American, you know, p- compassion and it is, it is, it is there, there, there is copious amounts of it. People will just give you money. I tell people all the time, you stand on a street corner and say the word cheeseburger and nothing else. Yep. Eventually someone will either hand you cash or a cheeseburger. I'm not even kidding. Like someone will walk into McDonald's and grab one and walk out and be like, here you go, buddy. Cause it's like, a, it's a dollar or two, right? Yeah. Because people in America really are, they, 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 they're really nice, at least in the real world. 
the people in America on Twitter just want to emotionally destroy you for some reason. I don't know why. My aunt, my aunt that I grew up who's like a second mother to me, every time she sees somebody who even looks remotely homeless, uh, she she looks for cash in her car and she gives it to them. I, I usually give them high five, like them. shake their hand, and they're they're so much happier than when I hand them money, like eye contact. It's and like, I love you, man. Weird how that works. Uh, I, I'm one of those, I give a lot, like, I, I would rather give money to somebody on the corner, uh, rather, cause if you were gonna give to charity, uh, you have to do your due, do, do, your due diligence, you have to look up how much of this is actually going to the cause in question, how much of it is going to administrative fees and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. I'm much more likely to just want to give it to the guys, like, this guy's out on the corner. We go to the, a Walmart over here all the time, and there's this one place where there's always people there. And I, if I have it, I will give it to them because, like, at least I know that it's going to this person, and whatever he chooses to spend that on, not my choice, but I make that choice for that trend, the transactional nature of that relationship, and I'm okay with that. At least as far as uh, that form of charity, I, do, I like. I, I'm wary of giving cash to random people holding signs because I, I, I knew people growing up. It's called flying signs, and so they would be like, "Hey, did you want to go fly signs?" And it's like literally people with apartments. Oh, it's or like houses. a scam. I guess you'd call it a scam. It's like a job, just not a... <laughs> they, they call it flying signs. Not an and honest so, job. Wow. Uh, you know the most powerful sign I've ever seen in my life was? I've seen a lot of signs. What? You, so, so first, let me just prefer, give, you, give you some backstory. You, you've seen the signs where like a guy says, let's be honest, I'm going to buy beer. Yeah. And the idea is to be funny. And then it's like, ah, it's relatable. Some people will do the normal signs like, you know, I'm, I'm homeless and I'm working really hard and I could use support. I saw one guy in Chicago with his head down and his sign said, I have nothing. Please understand. Mm. And I almost started crying when I saw that sign, That's dude, because yeah. he didn't ask me for anything. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to give this guy whatever I can. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll give to people, you know, but when I do give to somebody who's just flying a sign, I'll be like, the money I'm giving you is for you to do whatever you want with. Have a good day, man. <laughs> like, it's literally the idea is you, you, you might just take the cash because you make a lot of money doing this. You're not homeless. I don't care. Whatever. But I, I much prefer to just do massive tips at, at, at restaurants. Because yeah. then you've got someone, they're working a job, probably not the greatest job in the world. you got to deal with cr- crappy customers. Yeah. I always like, in whatever capacity I can, just do a massive tip because then it's like you're being rewarded for the work you're doing right now. Yeah, that was a, a, good day. a lesson I learned from my mom. If I didn't have a job, she wouldn't help me out financially at all. But if I got a job, she'd be like, okay, I'll, give you, I'll help you out with your rent if you can't afford it, if you have a job. Yeah. yeah. Worthwhile. My dad told me that what he would do is like he would go out and he'd see people with Vietnam veteran signs like I'm a Vietnam vet and he would quiz them on like what rifle did you carry because he wouldn't give it to them unless he yeah. knew they for sure served in Vietnam. I thought that was very uh, very clever of him Smart to uh, at least keep them honest in that way. The hardest thing I think for us to, to decide going forward as a society is what to do with the least amongst us. What's what's reasonable to do, and it's not an easy. It's not going to be an easy solution. And anybody who says that they have some some fail safe solution at how to approach that, they're just kind of being dishonest. You know, it's it's gonna it's a hard one because because especially if I know how close I was, and, and your people are hitting the chat, and I appreciate their compliments, but they also got to realize that I'm a testament. I was this close. I could have easily been dead or overdosed or yeah. in the gutter from being addicted to benzos. And I got them prescribed by a doctor. So imagine how many people are coming by this circumstance in, in ways that aren't malicious or, you know. You know what else I want to mention, lack of too? Character. Oxycodone. But what, what about the other direction? I want people to hear this. You told a story about how you stood up for what you believed in and you refused to back down. You, you, could, have, you could have been a superstar, but you decided that there were certain things that were more important. So now you're you're still fighting, you're still leading, you're still you're still you're fighting now, literally fighting. Literally, yeah. But you're 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 doing your thing, you're always doing. You know what I mean? 
There are a lot of people that I, I, I'm willing to bet a lot of people told you to shut up and dribble. Oh, the entire liberal establishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the ironic part. Yep. From 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 root to branch, the entire liberal establishment said, "You're too smart for your own good. If you just play, if you just play, wow. you'll have more leverage to get them to do what what they should do." Um, and yeah, I mean, it's I, I I just gave him the finger and said, you know, let's play the long game. Let's yep. play the long game in, in my life, and let's play it in the eternal and see who wins. I think you're doing well, man. Did you, you um man. have a moment like an a, a flexing moment where your mental health like just Something changed. Yeah, it was telling. It was telling the truth and and having gratitude. Um, but but the you thing the, you found the right path. The, the, but but it started early, right? The, the only the only snag I had in there is that I was still tied to my material dreams and that I thought I could salvage something with the NBA and have that career. But but I got to a point where I realized that we are. Uh, we are antithetical. Our energy, our, our, I don't say energy in a fake woke way. I mean, like the momentum of where we're headed is antithetical. But the real turning point for me was a 14 year old. When I first started talking about anxiety in the public square, when this whole NBA thing broke out, a 14 year old girl who I thought was, said she was a 14 year old girl out of New Jersey, um, sent me a message on Twitter and said that she was a cutter, that she had cut herself mm. and that, that me talking about mental health in the public square gave her hope. And I took that to a conversation with David Stern um, and said, these are the people that you are obligated to. These are the people that you're obligated to spearhead this movement for and be honest. And he scoffed at it. And from there we were mortal enemies. Me as a righteous and divine warrior for God and the Christian Christian faith that I serve and him as a, as a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a chameleonic globalist authoritarian <laughs> elite and we're, and we're at odds. So yeah, the war's on. Right on, man. All right, everybody. If you haven't already smashed that like button, subscribe to the channel, share the show with your friends. That's the most powerful way to help because if everybody shared the show, we'd be bigger than CNN overnight. Truth be told, I think in many ways we are bigger than them, but they have a massive YouTube channel. So let's, let's, let's get out there. And, um, if you guys want to support us, that grassroots marketing is, is powerfully effective. You can follow the show at Timcast IRL. You can follow me at Timcast. Royce, do you want to shout anything out? Um, RoyceWhite.us. That's our uh, campaign website. You can also follow me on Getter and Substack. Um, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Godspeed. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Uh, guys, you can follow me at Brett Dasovic on Instagram, but also Pop Culture Crisis on YouTube. Uh, if you go to the YouTube channel, we cut up all the segments into videos. I didn't have as much to say tonight, but I promise I have a great amount to say <laughs> on just about everything we talk about there, uh, probably more than most people would expect. Uh, and then if you do that, uh, in the description box of any of those YouTube videos takes you to the Spotify playlist that has all the episodes start to finish. It's the best way to watch the show, uh, me, Miracle, and we're going to have some more changes and some different things coming to the show in the near future. Sweet. I wanted to make sure you you're on Twitter too. Uh, yeah, Twitter, but highway underscore highway 30? underscore thirty. That's what I tweeted out. I want to make sure it's you. It's a graveyard, <laughs> dude. Maybe you guys you, got man. more juice than me. I've been shadow banned for for wow. for years you're on lit Twitter. Lit up tonight. Thank uh, you. Thank hey, you. Brett. Good to see you again, man. Did Royce, you? amazing to meet you. Thank man. you, brother. Thank Wonderful. you, guys. I can't tell. Look, the establishment told me face to face. If you don't do what we say, there's no chance that you'll have a voice and you'll be able to help people. And you guys doing stuff like this and giving me a platform. Uh, allows me allows me to do what I want to do and and proves them wrong. So thank you, I really appreciate it, yeah. my brother. I will see you guys next Wednesday. I'll be out of town on a little adventure, and I'll let you know uh, how that goes. 
Alrighty. Yes, thank you very much for coming tonight, Royce. I hope that more people will follow you and learn more about you, your fighting career, your basketball playing career, and that Guardian article that came out that was actually pretty good about you. I recommend people go check that out for sure. Get a little background on Royce. You guys may follow me on Twitter and Minds.com at Sarah Patch Lids. We will see all of you guys. Well, actually, you can go right now to YouTube.com slash Chicken City yeah. if you want to see some sleek, sleeping chickens sleeping and a bunch chicken. of new babies just hatched. And uh, we have the vlog going. Uh, the vlog is back up at YouTube.com slash Cast Castle. So check that out. And other than that, we'll see you all on Monday. Thanks for hanging out. Bye, guys.